Wrestling Geeks out there in Geek Fives Nation. This is your pal Dane Alves with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a weekly show in which me and my co-host Christopher Brother Ray Patton break down the latest and the greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews from some of the pay-per-views. I did not mean for all that to rhyme, by the way. That just came out like that. Anyways, um, so we got two shows this week. Uh, I'm sure that you saw the other one. If you're seeing this one, we talked about it on the last. Uh, the second part is going over NXT, NXT TakeOver predictions, and also SmackDown as we record this on Saturday from last night. So uh, good stuff. If you want to hear our thoughts on AEW Dynamite, we have a two-hour show. So if you're listening to this one first, just go and try to search it. Uh, it should be available back-to-back with this. So, yeah, just go check it out. We go over a lengthy uh, topic on Pat Patterson, and I cut a promo on Disco Inferno. So you yeah, check that one out, but mainly the AEW stuff, all the predictions, all the stuff involving Impact, all the stuff involving Sting. Definitely check that out. But right now, I'm going to pass it to my co-host. Um, I kind of bothered my throat last night, so he is going to be leading the show like a boss, Sasha Banks style. And uh, yeah, well, we're going to do that. So... Without further ado, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. That sounded terrible. In, <laughs> in the immortal words of Samuel L. Jackson, listeners, hold on to your butts. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be running the gig. Um, I guess we'll just start right off the rip with NXT. Does that sound good to you, Dane? Sounds lovely. And, and, and sir, you will do a great job. But I'm going <laughs> to hold on to my butt anyways. Okay. Well, you know, always hold on to your butts. That's that's what I've heard. Uh, so we'll just start it right off the bat. I thought they did a really touching tribute to Pat Patterson with everyone gathered on the stage to honor Pat. Uh, really great cinematography and video package queued up to Frank Sinatra's My Way, highlighting Pat Patterson's career. I thought this was an amazing tribute uh, and it also included Pat Patterson singing My Way, which apparently he loved to do. Um, anything to say about this? Yeah, um, I thought, like you said, good tribute. They did an extended one, obviously, on SmackDown. But it's just a really good video package highlighting his career with the song that he's known for singing in karaoke from his peers, uh, which really represents his life pretty well. And uh, I just uh, I think it makes sense with NXT and, you know, some of the performers, uh, especially Sammy, for being a heel, he, he did a good transition into it. But uh, if you watch Talking Smack based off of the last Smackdown that we're going to talk about, uh, he had some words about uh, Pat. Very positive because I didn't realize until recently that, well, until he started slipping with dementia within the last like two years and a half, he was very. Like, he was a correspondent, and he really took a lot of advice to Triple H and Sean. And during the era that Sammy was there, he was always at the shows. We kind of talked about that last night 
but it makes sense that Pat, you know, not as much as Dusty or, or Ricky or, or Sean, but he definitely had a presence and he was one of the brilliant minds that people could pick from when they had a chance to do so. So I really like the uh, tribute. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I mean, it's just it to me this was better than what they did on SmackDown, though what it, what they ended up doing on SmackDown I also thought was pretty good, but the video packages that they're able to produce on NXT is some of the best stuff. Um whether it's highlighting a wrestler and giving you a short segment or doing a tribute video like this, and it makes a lot of sense with Pat Patterson being so involved with some of the younger guys that we talked about it last night, or if anyone listens to the AEW show before this one, specifically we talked about Sami Zayn and when Sami Zayn won the title and Pat Patterson demanding to be part of the people running down to the ring for their huge baby face of Sami Zayn. Uh, just great stuff overall. Um, outside of that, to set up the show, there was a bunch of stuff on social media, which basically told us Johnny Gargano was going to be on guest commentary and they showed us El Legato del Fantasma attacking Kurt Stallion before the show. Um, he was supposed to tag team with Leon Ruff, I guess, in a match. But uh, Priest laid out uh, Joaquin Wilde in another skit before the show that led to Priest replacing Stallion and teaming with Ruff. And they face El Legato del Fantasma, which we'll get into a little bit later. And I think the story here is that Damian Priest wants to try to protect Leon Ruff headed into this title match on Sunday. I guess my question for you here is why, <laughs> since it's a triple threat title match and do you see any like problems with, I mean, I, I see obvious problems with the booking of this match in general, but uh, what, what would be the reasoning of priest wanting to protect Leon Ruff in this scenario? Because you would think a weekend Leon Ruff would give priest an advantage in this triple threat match. If I'm trying to go by logic, and you know that I don't like this whole entire title picture anyways, I think there's a lot of people that could be included in it. I think Priest needs to be going for a top title, honestly, um, or the top NXT title. Um, and it was really weird that, to take it off of Johnny. So it's it's a scenario, and I like Leon Ruff. He's a, he's a good wrestler, but then again, you know, same issues I have sometimes with certain wrestlers. And now that the title's on him and trying to do the whole one, two, three kids storyline. A lot of that just kind of took me out of this whole entire thing. I thought just intros, like these shortened ones to set up stuff. I mean, it's fine if you got a lot to do on your show, but it's also kind of lazy a little bit of not being able to actually get it set up the week before or add to it. But, you know, um, with AEW, one of the problems I have with them is trying to rely off their shows that people don't watch as much of Dynamite. So there's that too. You know, um, but I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I'm assuming Damian Priest, to get back to your original question, sorry, it took forever to get to, to it, but um, he wants to keep him okay so he's not weakened so that Johnny, if he does something in the match, uh, can't take advantage and, and get the title from Leon Ruff uh, due to the fact that now – you know, beforehand, uh, Damien kind of stopped matches or m made interference just so that Johnny couldn't beat him. So, uh, um, I don't know, actually. That doesn't even make any goddamn sense. None of it makes sense, Chris. Yeah. I, Damien Priest is 
currently a baby face in the storyline or is supposed to be the baby face in the storyline, I think. I at guess. least against at least against him and Gargano. But this is a kind of a I don't want to say it's a heel move, but I mean, he's protecting him. But with the suggestion that you gave where it's, you know, so that he has an advantage of Johnny Gargano, it kind of makes him look a little chicken shit. But maybe that's the story of the match is that he's going to try to have Leon Ruff help. Maybe they'll start the match off with a lot of double team moves or stuff on Johnny Gargano. Um, and then, you know, eventually Priest will turn on Leon Ruff. It's just really weird with Damian Priest's character. And this storyline in general, I get what they're trying to do with Leon Ruff, but I, I haven't been a huge fan. But let's, saying that, let's go ahead and get into the actual match that started the show, which is Leon Ruff and Damian Priest versus Santo Escobar and Raul Mendoza. Priest was running rough shot when he spotted someone in the crowd dressed in a scream costume. Gargano on commentary said, hey, it's cool that this fan is cosplaying as the character. Um, Damian Priest obviously gets distracted by this guy. And Escobar blindsides him with a tope. Um, San, uh, that basically just threw Priest into the chain link fence. <laughs> Priest was there to protect Ruff. And funny enough, Priest was ironically the one that got worked over by the heels. Uh, the heels get the heat on Priest through the commercial break, which I don't, I think they did picture in picture if I remember correctly, but. Not 100% sure. Damon Priest was fighting back, but he was outnumbered. Ruff's down in the corner selling a knee strike from earlier in the match. Leon Ruff, he crawls back up on the apron. Uh, he's still selling the strike on his knee, which was good. He continued that throughout the match. And the heels just start also targeting uh, Damian Priest's leg. Priest came back with a big flatliner on Mendoza and then tagged in Ruff. Ruff gets the hot tag. He starts running wild. Um, but he's unaware that a blind tag happens. And luckily, after a short beatdown, he's able to tag back in Priest. And then Damian Priest comes in. Another hot tag right there after selling for, you know, minutes and minutes. Uh, Priest was going for his finisher when Ruff made a blind tag. Priest delivered the reckoning, and Ruff followed with a frog splash, and then Ruff uh, covered Mendoza. So this kind of sets up their ability to work together as a team kind of unwillingly, which leads into that match, which makes me think that they probably will do like the heel turn that I was talking about. I thought this was a pretty good match. I don't think it does anything for El Legato del Fantasma, other than setting up the feud between Damian Priest and Leon Ruff and just building towards that match. I liked Johnny Gargano on commentary, uh, specifically that scream spot I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> where he pointed, where he's like, oh, it's, it's cool that this guy's just there. I guess, do you think Ghostface is going to interfere <laughs> in this match at War Games? And how did you like the match itself? The match itself was good. Uh, you know, it kind of showed Leon on being the guy that you could beat up. But I like what you said. It's like, like Damien actually took a lot of the beatdown because I think he was weary about getting Leon in, uh, involved and him losing. But the funny thing is, you know, something I didn't notice, they're a little bit bigger, but Leon Ruff's around the same size. He looks so much smaller to to even Johnny and definitely Damien, but he's around the same size as, like, the cruiserweights. Um, I'm wondering that if he loses this title, if he goes on to be a main person, since he's kind of gained, a, I would assume, a little bit of popularity within the last weeks 
within the cruiserweight division. They kind of don't have a lot. I mean, they do. They have Isaiah Swerve Scott. They got, uh, you know, they have they have uh, options for sure. But maybe they can throw him in that. I'm not quite sure. I like the Ghostface stuff. I hope they got that okayed from Sony <laughs> because, uh, yeah, they even just said blatantly said the name. So it's it's definitely like that on the nose. And I remember there was actually two of them behind Johnny at one point later on when Damian Priest was paying attention. So I'm wondering what the hell this is all about. You know, we've talked about Austin Theory. Obviously, Indy Hartwell was one of them. You know, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a very interesting wrinkle. Uh, and if, there, if it is an Austin Theory, I have no idea who the fuck it is. Honestly, I have no, no clue. So uh, this has been the best stuff, and we've been really super critical with, with, um, with Johnny and, um, you know, uh, Candace, I think this has at least been the most interesting. The Ghostface stuff, her leading, the uh, War Games team. Uh, so kudos to them on that. I'm just, if you get the title back on Damian Priest, you just flopped it, flip-flopped it for no reason. Uh, and if it goes to Leon Ruff, I guess you just keep on going with him, but it's still kind of an awkward concept. I mean, I guess you have Kushida take it from him if you want. That's a, an option. And if Johnny gets it, why the fuck take it off of him in the first place? Like, I thought Johnny having the title made sense because you could have this douchebag heel that has a long run with it, but can put on awesome matches with a lot of these guys and get them, you know, get the, get them better, basically, uh, some of the younger talent that's in that division. But I don't I don't know anymore. And I th- like I said, I think Damian Priest should be going for the main title. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Um with Damian Priest, the only the only reason I could think that they're booking it in this storyline is he might be picking the title back up and they just wanted to have him have a heel turn and be able to move Johnny Gargano away from that title picture. It's weird that they went the route that they did to get there. It's interesting what they're doing with Ghostface and this little mini faction, I guess, that Johnny Gargano kind of has backing him and Candice LeRae. We have been critical on Gargano and Candice LeRae, and it's mostly what is it, the world's greatest couple or whatever it is that they're booking themselves as and some of the stuff involved with them just basically doing BTE shit, like hanging out in their suburbs in Tampa or whatever. And all of this, they just didn't really come off as believable heels. Gargano has done a lot better once the storyline was introduced and it became more involved with wrestling. My big problem with Candice LeRae is that she's on so many segments on the show and it's not consistent with the character that she's playing necessarily. And I know it's because they're building towards war games, but there is a little bit of exhaustion of this. It's it's kind of like when um when you had after Austin kind of left and the rock was out and you just in every segment. Um, or, you know, Triple H versus Rockets, like Triple H is in every segment and he's kind of booking Candice LeRae that way, at least in my opinion, not as like strongly as Triple H was booked, obviously, as far as match wise goes. But she is in every segment. She's even in this next video package we're about to talk. And it was the same thing last week. And I don't think that she's the top female star. I like Candice LeRae. I think she's pretty damn good in the ring. Just the character itself especially now that you've turned Tony Storm heel and we may have another heel turn at this war games based on the stipulation we'll talk about later. I I think that's why I've been critical of it 
is just maybe the overutilization of those two when they have other people on the roster that they could build around. They could do more stuff with the 205 Live guys. The Johnny Gargano stuff has been more acceptable. I was a little hard on the Kevin Owens segment just because it was, while it was funny, it was very cringeworthy and wink and nod to like, hey, we do this shit all the time. Um, and a waste of KO. Yeah, and kind of a waste of Kevin Owens in general. Um, but when we when, when we were talking about that originally, it wasn't – we didn't know that that was the utilization – what they were going to do with Kevin Owens. So when we were prepping for that, knowing Kevin Owens was on guest commentary, we were like, this would be a huge deal. But obviously we did not know that the plan was him versus Roman because they built that in like one day. So it wasn't like booked out ahead of time where Kevin Owens would really, you know, have a huge problem with Roman. So, you know, looking back at it, it wasn't as bad as I thought originally because of the follow up on SmackDown. But the Gargano, Damian Priest, Leon Ruff, I, I feel bad for Leon Ruff because I don't think he's walking out of this as the champion. And I don't know where they put him from here. If you have Damian Priest win this, you could have Gargano and him feud for a while. But it almost seems like Leon Ruff is just destined to go against, you know, the 205 live guys, El Legato Del Fantasma, which has not been great for anyone. They haven't, I mean, they've continued that faction, but they haven't really gotten to a level where I actually care about that faction. I was more excited about them when they were just straight kidnapping motherfuckers for no reason. (laughs) And they never really followed up on it other than, you know, uh, turning Escobar heel. But outside of that and the cruiserweight tournament, the cruiserweight division has kind of been floundering. It's just the same matches week after week. At least we got something a little different with Escobar and Raul this week, but I don't know what's your feeling on the cruiserweight division and any comments on anything I said about, I guess, team Candace and Johnny. No, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, they are on a lot. And, and, and to me, it's like Candace in a top spot doesn't bother me, but the fact that they've already had her lose twice, once as a baby face, once as a heel now to EO, I mean, it's kind of like, I, I don't know. That, 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 that's, a, that's a weird situation. As far as the cruiserweight division, what to do with Leon Ruff, I guess, you know, if you want to get some – I don't know why they didn't do this when the, when the iron was hot with Drake Maverick. Uh, after he got signed back and came to NXT, they had a really great baby face for that division. I like Santos Escobar. I mean, I've always liked uh, El Fantasmo. So, you know, I knew him and Kinkiarto over at friggin' uh, Lucha Underground. I, I've liked him for a while, and, and I did like the stuff they were doing. It was very almost, I don't want to say Breaking Bad, but like trying to put this like crime family aspect into it, and I got it. And then it just now they're like praising each other, and it's like, well, you two idiots realize he's got the belt, you guys don't have shit. So they have a decent villain in him. They probably need to do some stuff. The cruiserweight division is pretty abysmal. They have good talent, they you know, but it's they don't really put as much work into it. So far, the most work have been these, uh, you know, um, their their group chilling at the house. And not a lot of people. I mean, there's um, what's the gentleman's name that 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 uh, wrestles later, uh, who has that awesome cartwheel DDT? Chris, Jake Atlas. 
Jake Atlas. Jake Atlas is great, but they, they've had him lose a bunch of times. Uh, what you call it? Isaiah Swerve Scott. He's great, uh, but he loses a bunch of times. So I, 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 it's, it is a very weird division. He basically is what I'm trying to say. Maybe Leon Ruff can bring some credibility to that, and they're trying to just heighten him right now by jump giving him the title and you know being involved in a program with Damian Priest and Johnny Gargano. But here's the thing. If Johnny or Damian get it, I don't want to fucking see them keep on wrestling. I'm over it. It's been like fucking five months of that. There's other people. We need to move on to me. Yeah, I agree with you. And there's tons of talent on this roster. And maybe with the in the wings, these ghost face characters, especially if it's someone like Austin Theory, you can work them into that feud if they go that route. And maybe that'll make it more entertaining. I wonder if Jake Atlas is uh, a little depressed that he signed this NXT development deal, because I think he could have went to like Impact, Ring of Honor or AEW and been highlighted a lot better, because I think he is absolutely fucking phenomenal. Uh, yep. But. But right now, I mean, he's taken a bunch of losses already to this heel faction, and it doesn't seem like he's the guy they're going to get behind. To me, it's Leon Ruff, like you said. I think escalating him, like him already being the – is it this the North American champion? That's what they call it? Yeah, so it gives him a little bit of credibility for doing that. And they give him some big matches with Johnny Gargano. He's got more of a rub going in. Maybe that's what they need. Just to me, that that heel faction in general, not showing them do anything very heelish except for interfering in NXT matches doesn't doesn't do anything for me. So I'm just kind of, I don't want to say I'm over it because I think there's ways to make that more entertaining and, and show some dissension between the faction itself. But right now they're just guys that interfere in Escobar's matches and sometimes do tag matches. But we'll get back into it. So we had a mini documentary highlighting War Games. Once again, great video package. Wouldn't expect anything less from NXT. They're really good at putting that stuff together. And we had Team Candice backstage for a promo. Candice LeRae basically vows her team will win War Games. And Raquel Gonzalez said after after um, after that night, their team will have after tonight their team will have the advantage. Gonzalez says that Blackheart will feel like she got run over by a tank. So we'll get into this a little bit later, but uh, well, actually we'll just go ahead and talk about it now as far as the finish of the match goes, but basically these, the baby face win the advantage. And generally if that happens, if you go back to like TNA impact with a war games advantage or something of this nature where the baby face get an advantage advantage where it's a two on one, you're either going to have a heel turn or you're going to have a baby face injury saying stuff like this, knowing that her tank has been squashed before. I don't feel like Shotzi is long for this war games match. Uh, anything about the promo? Um, I liked it. I, I thought that for Kel Gonzalez kind of getting pushed a little bit in the spotlight diesel uh, style over Dakota Kai. I guess she was in the match, but it was funny that that's the person they're concentrating on outside of Candace. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that That's a good point. Uh, but who are you insinuating would be turning? Uh, or who do you think? Kind of give me that so I can kind of riff. Well, I mean, if, if you're going to turn anyone, which to me it's too early to do it, but Rhea Ripley would make the most sense based on our promos and losing. Oh. 
but you just turned Tony Storm. I think they have more heels than baby faces at this point. Uh, they haven't done a great job of building Ember Moon, so I don't know that I would want to turn Rhea Ripley right now. It so to me, you, you either do an injury game, uh, injury angle in this War Games match, which we'll get into in our predictions, or you end up having to turn someone heel. Otherwise, you're going to have two baby faces beating down a heel. Uh, the only way around it, I guess, is and they they are highlighting Raquel Gonzalez. They could send in. You know, if Shotzi and Ember go in first for the two advantage and Raquel is the start, you can make Raquel look like a tank. They could go that route. But generally, that sucks because <laughs> two baby faces beating up one person generally is not good in the wrestling world. Yeah, I agree. Um just in, in interesting stuff, man. I, I'm really impressed by the people that they got in both matches. It makes sense to have the Undisputed Era because they've been a part of it for a while. They're always involved in the matches. Um, and now they're going against an, a, a pretty good team to go against. But with the women, this is literally, I would say, the bit, like the eight biggest people within the women's division. Uh, so it's pretty awesome. We're going to see all of them brutally destroy each other uh, on Sunday. Have to agree with you there. I guess I, I, you know, we'll see, but I'm assuming there's a new tank coming <laughs> based on the videos from Shotzi. So I'm excited for that. But uh, we'll get into the rest of the show. We'll hit War Games uh, obviously a little later. But right off the bat, we get Cameron Grimes uh, defeating Austin Gray in what essentially was a squash match. There was focus on Austin, uh, August Gray. I said Austin Gray. Excuse me, guys. August Gray last week basically rejoining the fold of the thatcher camp or the thatcher wrestling camp basically taz's gimmick uh all i have for this in my notes is that grimes hit the cave-in it was basically a showcase match for grimes after the match grimes cuts a promo on dexter loomis ahead of their strap match on sunday Grimes then took a leather strap and used it in demonstration. He hooked the, the strap to his ar- the arm of Gray and just started whipping the shit out of him. All the while, Grimes is talking trash about Loomis having no place to run uh, in their strap match. The joke being that, you know, obviously the joke being that Grimes has been running the entire time. And uh, Loomis, as, as basically... As Grimes was talking, Loomis sneaks in and kind of replaces himself with Gray, which is just weird that no one would notice. This is kind of goofy, but this entire storyline's goofy. So uh, Grimes freaks out when he sees Loomis was behind him. Loomis pummeled him and whipped him with a strap. Then Grimes escapes from the strap and runs away, which kind of kills the gimmick of the match. If you can just escape from the strap and run away and you didn't want to have the match to begin with, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I think you this would have probably been a better if they did like a dog collar match or something, honestly. But uh, what did you think about the match itself? I mean, it was pretty much a squash and, and the aftermath. And are you excited for Loomis versus Cameron Grimes? No, um, but to get back to the top of what you were saying, you know, and by the way, Chris, don't don't apologize for August Gray and Austin Gray, because. I think on this show I have mixed up the Undisputed Era and the Inner Circle like six fucking million times. At least every time I go back and listen to our shows, uh, yeah, probably uh, I do that a lot. So you're doing you, you, you're doing good. 
who the hell is this guy? August Gray. Okay, he was he he stuck up to Timothy Thatcher. He kind of looks like '70s porn star Jungle Boy. Um, I all right, you know, I'm glad he was in a match. Obviously, it was about what happened later on, building to the match at NXT Takeover on Sunday. Um, I will say that um, Cameron Grimes, the, the you can say what you want, but that cave, the caveman or caveman looks fucking brutal every time he does it. Uh, so he gets the win, he acts all cocky, and Dexter Loomis comes out. I don't really care about this feud. We've gone over it. I think it's gone way too long. What these guys are going to have to do is realize this is fucking takeover, and this needs to be a hell of a lot more serious. They're both good wrestlers, so use that. Cameron Grimes is naturally kind of goofy and shit, so he can still be a little bit scared, but they need to fucking put on a good match and surprise us because as of right now, I don't think their stock has raised at all from this feud. If anything, it's gone down. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. It's the thing that worries me about Cameron Grimes is that he is so good at being this goofy character that is going to pigeonhole him into being that goofy character. WWE is really bad about that. If you come out and you're able to do these goofy things and maybe it's going to be different with NXT, but knowing that WWE creative has started to nest its way into NXT, it makes me very worried that he's going to be stuck in this situation. I think they can have a good match that the cave in looks absolutely incredible. I thought he, I thought he killed the guy last week with it. Uh, and then going back and watching it, it was actually a lot safer than I thought it was. But when we reviewed it last week, I was like, man, he looked like he just absolutely, I can't remember who he hit it with because it was just basically a squash match. Uh, but he looked like he just stomped on the guy's melon. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I like Cameron Grimes. I think he's a, I think he's a fun promo. I love his interactions with William Regal specifically. It's hilarious. But where does that character go from there? Is it too late to turn him serious? Those are all questions I guess we'll see after this match. I mean, if he beats Dexter Loomis and kind of is able to turn it on or turn on a next level of Cameron Grimes, then that, that'll be all good stuff. I'm still not a huge fan of the name Cameron Grimes also. Because it just feels like names from The Walking Dead thrown together, but I mean, I mean we'll see it's what fucking happens. Fucking terrible! It's a it's a terrible name. It's a funny gimmick. Hopefully, uh, we get some more fabulous Freebird action. Michael P.S. Hayes. <laughs> that's that's all we can hope. Take for. him under his wing. <laughs> Take Cameron Grimes under your under his wing. Just you know, and go back to Trevor Lee. It was such a like just better name. That's actually his fucking name, too. Sometimes, sometimes WWE, you don't have to change it. You don't have to put your fucking sugar. I get it's for copyright reasons, for action figures, but, I mean, you could have gone off of Trevor Lee, Trevor Lee Brown. I don't know. Fucking Cameron Grimes. Trevor Lee Brown is a better name than Cameron Grimes for the character. <laughs> Honestly, I think you nailed it. But, I mean, they submit lists of names they want to use, and this one was, like, one of his top ones. So, I, I don't – he should spend less time in creative wrestler or whatever. It's, it, to me, it's a, it's a terrible <laughs> name. Uh, so, next match, we get Jake Atlas defeating Tony Nese. This was a decent match. There wasn't a whole lot. So he just kind of seemed like filler on the show, and Atlas pins Nice after a huge cartwheel TDT. Afterwards, Atlas dedicates the match to Pat Patterson. Um and then he cut a pretty good promo. 
in, a, in the post-match interview. Neither of the neither of these people caught an entrance. They just kind of had the jobber introduction. Uh, and during the match, there was a split screen like NWO used to arrive in Nitro during an undercard match or something. And it was basically Pat McAfee uh, arriving in the building. So while he dedicated this match to Pat Patterson, there was a, some other things kind of overshadowing it. And the match itself, it, I don't want to just say it was filler, but it kind of seemed like filler. And I like Jake Atlas a lot. Like I said, I think he's being very underutilized and should probably already be the cruiserweight champion, if I'm being completely honest. But here we are. What did you think of the yeah. match? Yeah, I uh, I did. I, I liked the match. You know, it was it was short to the point. The fact that they got over the that he got a you know win over a past cruiserweight champion. I think Tony East is a two time too. I might be wrong on that, but. And then the promo at the end, the fact that he dedicated it to Pat Patterson, obviously, because they're both gay. So when it came to looking up in commentary, uh, they kind of made it say, like, Jake Atlas looked up to him. But they didn't really – which I think is weird, I will say, that all the shows – I mean, Stephanie, with her with her tweet, was the only one who, like, you know, had talked about him being openly gay. So – I don't know. That just that's just me that you can say that it's it's completely fine. But they kind of beat around the bush a bit. Uh, but that was nice. That was a nice touch and it put him into a good baby face promo that was, you know, kind of from the heart. And uh, that's someone, you know, I mean, I know it was a short match. It was kind of just filler. They didn't have any intro. But for Jake, I think it was good to help him get further. So, you know, like I said, we, we talked about the cruiserweight division this kind of goes to it is they're they're at least trying i think to build some new stars uh, i don't know where shane strickland is i say a swerve scott but, but uh uh he's someone i think that you could fucking build a whole entire thing around just from what i watched in mlw with him and also on uh lucha underground but you know now they have atlas now they have i'm assuming eventually leon ruff uh they already have the champion uh with santos escobar so it's it's hard to say, you know, maybe because it's fucking 205 Live and the Cruiserweight division, as like you said, uh, many times they don't really give a shit about it uh, since the inception of it, where they had the amazing tournament with all the guys that are part of it, plus TJP, plus Kota Bushi and Zack Sabre Jr. And it was one of the first things that drew my eye back to wrestling just from the them announcing all the people on fucking Facebook. I remember that. So, um I've always wanted it to come back a bit. Uh, they definitely have some people. Drake Maverick should not be in a fucking tag team with Killian Dane. He should be elevating that damn cruiserweight division. So if they would just get their shit together, it's just like two of the other heels in the cruiserweight division are also in the fucking faction with the champion. So there's also that. I don't know. The only way I can really think of, I think this Jake Atlas promo was great. But to fix the cruiserweight division and where it's at now and how fans view it, I think you almost need a big star or someone that is really good on the mic. And that's when I look at, you know, in the past and granted, he's not the best wrestler of all time, but I think the hottest like 205 live was. Um, and as far as drawing eyes to the product of 205 live was Enzo Amore. I know people don't want to hear that, but as far as focus on the cruiserweight division when Enzo was there and, and to some extent when Neville was there, just because Neville was putting out great yeah. matches with, with um, 
God, Austin Aries. Yeah, Austin Aries. Aries. That's right. I had to I had to stop myself because I was about to do the same thing and say Austin Theory because there's so many fucking Austins and there's only one that matters. Hey, what? What? <laughs> but as far as like you know being able to kind of go against anyone and being a promo guy and a top heel, they haven't had anyone outside of Enzo and they they really need to find that guy who can be their top guy. Maybe Jack Jake Atlas is it. Well, I guess time will tell. Um, or maybe they need to start looking to find that direction or find who can be the top guy to anchor that division. Because the Elegato del Fantasma, I think all of those wrestlers individually are great. It's just you have a heel faction that doesn't really do anything on your main product. And there's no, there's no like, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this. There's no intrigue there because they've just beaten everyone. So maybe Leon Ruff can be that guy, though I was not very impressed by his promo work <laughs> during that Kevin Owens segment last week. No. Um, yeah, I, I think that what it is is what it, what it is, what it is, brother. But just throwing this out there in the universe, if some reason, you know, all of a sudden a masked uh, gentleman uh, showed up and maybe you gave him like some type of I don't know big cat themed character, not necessarily a Puma, but something around those lines. You can call him like King something actually like King tiger or some shit. Uh, and all of a sudden start taking people out and, you know, we just, we could, we could even have it where if this guy might be another wrestler that's known within whatever the fuck they're doing, not with him uh, on the uh, main product, he can maybe even still do his own thing as that character, but maybe something, not, not, like I'm not going for like Prince Puma, but I'm you know something like that, and kind of use him kind of like Suicide as this mysterious character, and have him rupture the whole entire division and take down pretty much immediately uh, Santos Escobar. And I think people would be pretty excited about that. I don't know. I think people would be very excited about the matches. I think the concept of cruiserweight doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore because your top stars are damn near under 205 or right at 205 <laughs> yeah you know like at some point you don't have the heavyweight division that you had when wcw was doing a cruiserweight division you don't have all of these kevin nashes and scott halls and hulk hogan's these huge ass larger than life people you do to some extent on the main roster, but 205 is not on the main roster. Pretty much everyone in NXT, maybe with the exception of like Damian Priest and Dexter Loomis, maybe Karrion Cross, are under 205 or probably damn near close to it where they could drop weight and compete for that title. I Maybe you just get rid of it and you have you put all of this energy that you're focusing on with this group into that NXT North American championship. And you really build up that mid card kind of like they did with the intercontinental championship at, at the origination of the, at that championship, like make that division really strong as opposed to focusing on the show. That's only on the WWE network that I think had like less than a hundred thousand views for their last episode. Like focus that energy, the time, the money, the effort into something that's going to one help these guys get over, and two potentially, you know, make your NXT product better. 
Uh, I love the Cruiserweight tournament. If you want to do a 205 tournament for a trophy or something, I think that's great. But it <laughs> to make 205 something that people are going to tune into, you have to have you have to have like a Roman Reigns or some big name person that is specific cruiserweight for a specific reason. And maybe Ricochet would be the guy. I think he would be great there, but I don't know that he's. Wait, I didn't say Ricochet. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, King Tiger. King Tiger. <laughs> King Tiger. Uh, which just, isn't that just a Titan character? Prince, Prince Panther, <laughs> Prince Panther. It's fine. Um, Maybe he could be the guy, but I, I mean, they buried him so much on the main product. I don't know that do you, his name even holds the same amount of weight as it used to. Do you think that NXT's intentions were to take that title and bring it to the UK? Because we got to realize also, with the pandemic happening, Jordan Devlin was a champion. He was going to start roughshodding that title with their cruiserweights and try to build them, like A Kid and. You know, you could use Tyler Bate in that setting. There's a lot of wrestlers, uh, Mark Andrews, that are like that and kind of give that to them as their secondary title. Uh, it seemed like that's where they were going. Uh, Jordan Devlin still has a title. He's started wrestling. He hasn't defended it, but he claims to be the real uh, cruiserweight champion. You know, I don't know what they do with that. It should be obviously them going at it, but obviously the travel restrictions – that many people have talked about basically if they come over here they're good but when they go back they get a quarantine for like i think two months or something like that over in the uk it's a it's a very it's a big ass to get any of those guys to come over but it just seems to me that this was not supposed to happen really that maybe they were even thinking about sending american cruiserweights over there uh to take it over maybe even do like use 205 live this is an assumption but use 205 Live as kind of like a secondary UK show displaying their talent, but then the pandemic happened and they wanted to still use the title on television, so they did what they did uh, with their little mini tournament. Uh, do you think it was supposed to end up in the UK as like their secondary title to begin with? That would make a lot of sense. I don't know for sure that that was the plan, but it almost is more fitting over there. They could use a secondary title. I, I mean, well, I say that, but then I look at what they've been able to accomplish with their limited roster and how fucking good those shows have been. If, if for those watching NXT UK, we don't really cover it unless there's something huge happens like Alter versus uh, Dragon off, for instance. But it, that show is really, really well booked. Maybe a, another title there wouldn't be the best thing. I, I don't know. That's, that may have been the plan. I think you, you have something there. Yeah, I was just curious about it. But, um, you know, we'll have to find out. There is some hope, but, you know, it's hard to hold out hope for the Cruiserweight division in WWE to begin with. But um, Jake Atlas, pretty damn good wrestler. Yes, but he could also be really good going against people like Johnny Gargano, who's in the same weight class. Right. <laughs> Uh, yep. Let's go right into the next segment, which is Pat McAfee comes out, him and his whole crew get into the ring, and he cuts one hell of a promo, just basically building up his team in war games and running down Undisputed Air. Uh, I don't remember, but I don't think they even referenced the run-in, or at least Pat McAfee didn't during this promo. Uh, 
And um, he, at the beginning of the promo, paid a tribute to Pat Patterson, which I thought was really good. Once again, just good shit from Pat McAfee. I don't have like detailed notes on exactly what he said, but it's, uh, the gist of it was they're going to beat the shit out of the Undisputed Era. Do you have any specific things that you want to say about the promo other than it was great? I mean, when you got CM Punk <laughs> tweeting um, in reference to Pat McAfee and saying the uh, the the wrestlers on the other shows should feel embarrassed that Pat McAfee is this good as a heel compared to everyone else. Uh, I think, you know, that's also him being a dick like you normally can do, but that's a statement. Um, I think Pat is great. He's so fucking natural. He was able to put that Pat, uh, the Pat Patterson thing in there real quick, but then jump back on and tell everyone how much they're scumbags. And, uh, He's got an old school mentality with with his heel promos. It really does kind of harpen back to what I've seen from uh, Lawler as a heel over in Memphis, uh, like we've talked about in the past, and being a fan of him. It's just he's a fucking dick. Or in WWE, Lawler in the early 90s was ridiculous. Uh, And just calling everyone out, calling them trash, you know, and and they're going to kick the Undisputed Era's ass and – kind of confirmed that even though he wasn't located there, that guy was supposed to be him with the mask on. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm hyped for this, man. I'm hyped to see what Pat McAfee specifically can do in this match. And I hope he doesn't do anything too fucking crazy because let's, let's face it. He did some risky shit in that match with Adam Cole. That's why we were all impressed by him, but it's been this version of him on the mic. Uh, that's really stolen it. And I like that Pete Dunn finally grabbed the mic and talked a bit and kind of straight up said his side of the story. And Pat's like, whoa, Pete Dunn's got to talk. You know, he's just hyping up everything, him going back and forth with Danny Burch and Oni Lorkin. Like, it's uh, it's good shit. It's good shit. This is the best use of a celebrity that WWE's had in, I don't know, maybe ever. I, I mean, I, there's some big names that they've had for WrestleManias and stuff, and obviously big parts of wrestled the early WrestleManias, but as far as an ongoing storyline, this guy completely changed my mind on the way to use celebrities. I think it's also great that he said he has no interest in going into the main roster, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. Um, him going into this match, I think it, you know, I, I love the promos. I think that's hilarious that CM Punk said that. Maybe he didn't see any of the Eddie Kingston promos leading up to that Moxley match, but uh, there, there's some good shit on other wrestling products, unless he was just talking about WWE specifically. But, uh, yeah, great promo once again by him. I like the Pat Patterson tribute that he threw in there. And look forward to the match. And, you know, the thing about this match is, look, even if this guy isn't the greatest worker in the world, He's in there with some of the best workers in the world. I mean, he's got fucking Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish to work off of. So I'm sure they're going to make him look like a million bucks regardless. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you. All right. Well, that brings us to our next match, which was the grizzled young veterans, James Drake and Zach Gibson versus Imperium. Uh, Marcel Barthol and Fabian Achner. I always pronounce his last name wrong. Eichner! (laughs) Yes. Um, This match was kind of nothing. It was a pretty good match, but it just set up Ever Rise running in, jumping both teams, and the match gets thrown out. 
basically they went back and forth, leading to Etchner diving to the outside. Ever runs down to ringside, attacks both teams. The referee calls for the bell and throws the match out. Ever rise during the commercial break, left the building like Earl Hebner after the Montreal screw job. <laughs> and uh, Parker and Martel hurried out of the building and they got into a waiting car. Uh, they yelled Ever Rise rules as driving away. And that was pretty much the match. It just sets up maybe a, a feud between these three teams. I'm glad that they're putting focus back to the tag team division. They're in a weird spot right now because uh, Danny Birch and Oni Lorcan are the tag champions. They're heavily involved in the war games, but at least they're trying to keep the tag team division alive on their weekly shows until after war games. I agree with you, and I hate to be pessimistic, but man has it fallen. Um, God, this used to be one of the most flourished tag division for years. I would say for a little while, consistently, NXT year by year had some of the best tag team matches. Um, and obviously that was before AEW, and you know it's competing with Raw and SmackDown, which have great tag teams but never utilize them, and a lot of other factors in it but you know we're talking about diy we're talking about uh we're american alpha we're talking about the undisputed era has been there for a very long time they made that very clear in their their promo um but god they had to take the uk talent over here to give us some tag teams again uh with the uh grizzled young vets I like Everrise getting a one-up on him. Um, I like uh, Imperium. It's just Imperium's not the same. I think Fabian Eichner's awesome. I think that Marcel Bartel, and I forgot, Fabian Eichner's actually Italian, so uh, I'm an idiot. Uh, Marcel Bartel is actually the German one out of all of them. Uh, But they're great wrestlers, but it's just like there's not a lot of steam behind them. I like Everrise being the jokey kind of tag team, and I don't know what the fuck they're doing with Killian Dane, Drake Maverick. I guess they're there as well. But um, them getting the hell out of there uh, for for causing the uh, end of the match after getting their ass kicked the beginning of it uh, by the uh, by Imperium uh, to prompt that match. I did. You know, that has happened. I've seen them have a match. The Grizzle Young Vets are a great fucking tag team. Um, I forgot the ball gentleman. Uh, he's he's good on the mic. Uh, he's really good on the stick as being a heel. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're good tag teams just like not as much care within the tag team division because they don't focus and build up the characters themselves as much as they used to. Yeah. And I think it might get better after war games is over. They'll probably bring back, uh, Brazango. You'll have Oni and Danny Birch. Maybe that, that faction will still be going. Hopefully at some point we'll get mustache mountain. I think that would be great. They want to bring them in for a run. At least they have something because it felt like for a long time it was just undisputed error and nothing else as far as tag teams go. Um, so they have some tag teams there that aren't bad, it, but there is no focus towards it. I agree with you. Zach Gibson is pretty good on the mic as far as a heel promo goes, and I think he's pretty damn good in the in the ring. We'll see where they go, but I, I didn't have a problem with this match, mostly because a lot of the show felt like filler. Am I am I crazy on this stain? No, it was it was complete filler, and they should have taken it. I know why, but I mean this was building up to takeover, so I wish there was a little more effort put in. 
Another another tag team, by the way, a good babyface tag team to take over here if you're going to take from the UK lot is uh, Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews. They're fucking awesome. They're, and they would also, to see some of the matches they had with grizzled young vets, uh, like over in the UK, that would be uh, a fun thing to add in that scene. But uh, also, like you said, Mustache Mountain, you can't take all of them because then they don't have any over there. So there is that. Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, hey, bring back AOP. Put them back with uh, what was their original manager's name? Manager's name. He used to manage the Road Warriors. I can't think of his name for right now. Oh my God, it's at the top of my tongue. I'll, I'll, I'll remember and shut it out. Um, yeah, bring them back with him. Have them be a dominant tag team that other people have to go against. Sure, why not? Just don't have them do anything with Samoa Joe because Samoa Joe always dies <laughs> whenever he's involved with them. Uh, outside of that, I mean, I you know they fired them. If you're looking for a tag team right now, I don't think they're signed anywhere. And if they're healthy to work, there's no reason why you shouldn't bring them back and just put them on. Paul Ellering. Sorry. Yeah, Paul Ellering. There you go. All right. We have uh, Timothy Thatcher teaching a seminar here. And basically, Tomasha Ciampa is he interrupts it. So back in the ring for another session is Thatch as Thatch can hosted by instructor Timothy Thatcher. He says today's lesson is on distractions. Some people could have used this advice in earlier matches on the show. Thatcher turned, which is funny because that's I guess that's how he lost the previous week, which me and you weren't huge fans of that finish. But uh, Thatcher turned out to one of to address one of his students, and he was shocked to see Tommaso Ciampa standing in the ring next to him. Thatcher told Ciampa uh, he already had a student who was also in the ring with him. Ciampa said he was there to learn, he was there to teach, or he wasn't there to learn, he was there to teach. Thatcher reiterated he had no issue or problem with Ciampa as Thatcher went to leave the ring. Ciampa called him a disappointment. Thatcher turns around, confronts Ciampa. Thatcher said he knew Ciampa was trying to goad him into a fight. He again said he wanted no trouble, and then Thatcher shot on Ciampa with a leg dive. Ciampa knocked him down with a forearm. Thatcher's student uh, came in to sneak attack and jump Ciampa. That allowed Thatcher to attack Ciampa, and Thatcher choked out uh, Tommaso. He put him to sleep, left him laying there, thus concluding the lesson on distractions. Thatcher, in the backstage interview, threatened Ciampa ahead of their match at TakeOver. The match is now official on the card. I'm excited for this match. It should be fucking phenomenal. I think, it, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of Thatcher tapping out last week. I, I'm still not a huge fan of that finish. I don't understand why you did that. But, uh, hell, man, this should be a great match. This could be match of the night between these two. Uh, you are absolutely right. Uh, I completely agree with you on that. And um, the only problem I have with it, I don't like what they've built Timothy Thatcher uh, as of recently. I Even to the extent of these Thatch, Thatch Ken segments, they've been cool for him teaching students, but it's also he's kind of being this domineering bully that, you know, just takes out guys and stuff like that. Just, uh, you know, he, he's supposed to be this – we compared him in the past and how he's been presented in the past. We talked about, you know uh, – Benoit, Fit Finley, I guess William Regal kind of had qualities that could be considered like this. What I'm trying to say is him getting spooked by Tommaso Ciampa uh, and losing the match that way. Uh, you know, him, you know, backing down several times now from Ciampa. Why is Ciampa wanting to go after him, too? I, I don't understand this. He was talking like he was talking to the young guys in the, in the locker room. 
and you're picking what's supposed to be one of the the tough guys uh, a part of your roster, which if we get a good match out of it, we get a good match out of it. But who's going to win? I mean, I don't want to see Ciampa lose, but I don't really want to see, Ch- uh, you know, Timothy Thatcher lose either. That He definitely doesn't need that. His credibility of being this tough, like, you know, you can't fuck with this guy aspect is kind of dwindling. And he's becoming a little bit more chicken shit than I really would want. But I am looking forward to that match. I like that the lesson that they did in this segment did harken back to the previous week's finish. I hated that he tapped because his entire gimmick is that he's supposed to be the best shoot wrestler on the roster. And that's why he's teaching this wrestling camp. So that sucked. But uh, as far as who needs to win this match, I mean, I think Thatcher can win via DQ. It's not going to hurt Ciampa. Or, you know, you could have some interference from these different students and maybe Ciampa has to run through all of them. I guess it just really depends on what you want to do with Tommaso. If you're fine with him feuding with Thatcher for a while, you can go that route. Or you can just have Ciampa destroy him. But, uh, you know, as or, far as... Or we need a four-way. We need a four-way with Arturo Huaz, uh, fucking, um, God damn it, Kushida, Timothy Thatcher... And Tommaso Ciampa. It'll just be a lot of hard hits and a lot of blocks. That'd be Elimination amazing. style. That'd be amazing. And then we'll get a good, we'll get to go online and hear everybody talk about how the match didn't have enough high spots. <laughs> uh, well, so, duh. Uh, <laughs> so I like that. I think that could easily end up being match of the night. If I'm being completely honest with you, that he should be really great. I don't know what they're going to do with the finish. And I wasn't a huge fan of that Kushida. I, I like the Kushida match. The actual match itself wasn't a, a big fan of the finish. Like I said, I don't know that you have Thatcher tap ever. But, yeah, good stuff. I liked this segment. I liked that it tied back. At least it tied back to the distraction. It, this harkens back to me to... You remember when Taz had his wrestling school? It was like Taz's Disciples and ECW. It's like yeah. a com- it's like a combination of that and like when people talk about Vern Gagne's training and Stu Hart's training, where he would just twist them into a fucking knot. That's kind of what I get out of Thatcher's character. Here, yeah, let me just uh, squeeze your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in the next match, we get Shotzi Blackheart. Versus Raquel Gonzalez in a ladder match. Once again, I am. They got to get off these ladder matches. They got to do something different or find some. Why? Why can't you? They're getting a briefcase for an advantage. There's no contract in it. I don't understand why this can't just be a singles match. Uh, basically, Shotzi Blackheart wins the match after a bunch of run-ins. Now Team Shotzi has the advantage. The ladder quickly became involved in the match. Gonzalez was getting the better of Shotzi Blackheart until Blackheart. Uh, hit a wrecking ball dropkick and send the ladder smashing into Gonzalez. Blackheart left off the apron into a flying crossbody. Raquel Gonzalez catches her and slams her down on the ladder. Blackheart uh, ran in with a, uh, uh, grabbed a sleeper hold, but she was posted into the, you know, the ring post on the outside. Moments later, she sidestepped a charge and then Blackheart targeted her leg. There was a coffin drop off the barricade from Blackheart and she crashed into Gonzalez. They fought through the commercial break and when the show returned, they were having a tug of war with the ladder. 
Blackheart went for another crazy apron spot. It looked kind of fucked up to me. I don't know how it looked to you, but I don't know. Something just didn't didn't work really well there. And then Gonzalez uh, threw Blackheart into the ring steps. Gonzalez picked up the ring steps. Then she hit Shotzi with the ring steps, obviously. Uh, she climbed. Gonzalez climbs up one side of the ladder. Blackheart meets her. They're both at the top. Take a bump, big bump off the ladder. After taking turns pulling each other off the ladders, you know, it it, it tipped over and they both go ass over uh, tea kettle. Huge tilt a whirl by Blackheart led to a running senton, um, and then that leads into Blackheart jumping off the top rope with a meteora, which I hate this move. I think it looks like shit. By the way, Dane, this double knee thing, I, I've never seen. I had no before. idea about that. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Oh, that I hate it. <laughs> yeah. You've hated it for, for, I love how you, you're like, I hate this move, Dane, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I know you, you, you definitely dislike it. I realize that it's like, it's one of the most unsafe things you can do. So maybe yeah. if anyone's listening to the show and you are a professional wrestler and have taken this move or given this move, please tell me how this is fucking safe. And Andra- Andrade do, does it like where he it looks like he kills people, but it also looks like he smashes his fucking knees into the corner. His looks the coolest, but yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of uh, I mean, even Alistair doing it off the top ropes, it just it looks like your knees are just driving into the fucking mat, and you're just giving someone a concussion on the way down. I mean, it it can't uh, as a as a as a profession where it's not good for your knees to begin with. I don't know that this would be my go-to. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, we basically, you got a problem with the boss. So, okay. No, but I do have a problem with this match. And let me get into this last week. We have Pete Dunn versus Kyle O'Reilly. The teams are not allowed to get involved from what I could tell, or they automatically lose the match. And that's why you have a mass man run down. This match that rules out the window and no one gives a fuck. Am I wrong on this? <laughs> I, once again, trying to help their logic, which there's probably not any. Um, I, I, I'm assuming that the reason why this happened is because those platforms, it was not, not necessarily a stipulation, unless you heard that directly. I didn't. Maybe they did say that, that they couldn't interfere, but those platforms were supposed to make it so they couldn't because they were lifted. So I guess... Last week, they were like, oh, we're just going to throw fake Pat McAfee out there. This time, it just took Indy Hartwell with her ridiculous neck brace and a ladder uh, to provide that type of opportunity. I don't know how the fucking baby faces got down. That didn't make any sense. But did you hear them specifically say that if anyone gets in, in uh, you know, interferes from the team that it's over? Or was it that they were put up there so obviously they didn't think they would be able to get down? I mean, I just drew that conclusion because I've seen these people leap off ladders like every two months that they would be able to get down if they <laughs> wanted to. That's uh, a good point. <laughs> so I Make drew the a human chain. <laughs> I drew that conclusion because it, you know, it's a no DQ match, so you could just have anyone run in at any time, which is what they did here. Uh, biggest spot, my favorite spot in the match is uh, Shirai doing the moonsault out of the ring onto everybody. I thought that looked really good. Um, Blackheart was left alone in the ring. She climbs the ladder, grabs the briefcase, winning the match. Babyface team has the advantage going into war games. That generally sucks. We'll see how they play it. Like I gave my predictions earlier of what they would do. 
Um, kind of goes against the logic of WCW war games. Usually you want the heels with the advantage, but we'll, we'll see where they go. I'm assuming either a heel turn, like I said previously, or, or, um, some sort of injury angle, maybe with Shotzi getting ran over by a tank or, you know, a hmm. monster truck or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it was, the match was fine. Like you said, I think I'm just burnt out of, ladder matches i was told ahead of time that this is these are how they do the stipulation matches this is how they've done them so but either way nxt uses them a little bit too frequently um and it's just kind of like just played out it's not as uh special as it used to be i would say but still good match a little awkward at some points a little bit aggressive at some points raquel gonzalez got fuckload of strength man she is a monster um but i just like this the ending with Shotzi getting it, Io Shirai, which we all knew, uh, you know, basically signifying she's definitely in the group, which, you know, why wouldn't she attack the people that just beat the crap out of her in the back and just walked around with her on her shoulder like a rag doll? Uh, you know, she's a champion. Uh, this kind of this is this is four of the best women competitors or the ones that at least have potential to do big things in NXT for a long time or also go up to the uh, main roster. So. I like it. I, I think it's uh it's good. Um but yeah, uh the 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 match itself wasn't bad. I just I have ladder match fatigue. So there is that. Yeah, it's the same with me with the ladder match fatigue. And I'm sure we'll see another one next month. <laughs> Has AEW done a ladder match? I don't think they have yet. I'm not sure, but you would think that AEW would be doing a hell of a lot more fucking ladder matches because of the Young Bucks being a part of it than NXT every goddamn week. Bucks versus Motor City Machine Guns versus FTR or something fucking wild. <laughs> Maybe that's why they're saving it. Oh my god, if, that, if it was the North, the Machine Guns... The Good Brothers, FTR, and the Young Bucks. How about that? I know that's a lot, but that's still, like, would be awesome. Have to agree with you there. Are you ready to get into these NXT TakeOver War Games predictions? Let's do it! Ow, God, my throat. <laughs> so I don't know if this is the order of the matches. I guess we'll see because they sometimes shuffle it, but... Uh, right now, I have listed number one, Team Shotzi, which is Shotzi, Blackheart, Ember Moon, Rhea Ripley, and Io Shirai, versus Team Candice, Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez, and Tony Storm. Who do you have winning this match, and do you have any kind of big predictions? I, I like your idea of, of some involvement from a, a, like a heel turn uh, towards the end. Uh, man, I don't know if I would make that. Uh, that's so hard, because Io Shirai has obviously already been a heel. Um, Shotzi doesn't make any sense to turn her heel. Rhea Ripley, it kind of does. Uh, but based on the the phone call that Triple H just had with um, uh, prepping for this, uh, you know, this press conference, he was talking about Rhea Ripley and how this was not supposed to happen. So basically, the two obstacles that caused Rhea not to come up from what he was saying, uh, they had a completely different plan, was Charlotte inevitably having to get that surgery for that nagging injury because they wanted them to in a program lock together to really build her. And they realized they needed her because of the pandemic. They needed her as a star there. So 
Um, I think Rhea's going to be doing something else. But, hey, if you want a heel turner and then kind of put her in that direction. But like you said, the only problem is you just turned Tony. You know, Candice was a great baby face. Dakota was a great baby face. They're heels. Uh, I don't know. But I think that the winners, you know what? I think the heels should win. Um, I I think the heels should win. I know that that doesn't make a bunch of sense, but Candace hasn't gotten a lot of wins, and it would kind of make sense that they build up to this is all with her group and her team. They got Raquel Gonzalez, they got Dakota Kai, Raquel and Rhea are gonna have fucking great interaction like they always do. Um, it just uh this 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 is gonna be good. Tony Storm. Her and Rhea Ripley also getting a chance to, you know, go after each other like they have in the past. Uh, Io Shirai and Tony for animosity, obviously. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of stuff. Candice and uh, everyone has something or has had interactions with the other people. So um, I'm looking forward to this. It's like this is some of the top females, and I'm going to give it to the heels. I don't know who's going to win it. If somehow Candice steals the goddamn victory, but I feel like the heel team is going to win. I'm a little torn because I could see Ember Moon winning it based on the way they've booked her, her having to overcome all of the odds against the heel, and that sets up a match with her and EO. Or you could go the opposite route, which would be Tony Storm wins it, and then you have a clear-cut heel for EO to go against, who I think is one of the better female performers that they have and should be positioned at the top. But they just turned her heel two weeks ago, so it's hard to say, like, yeah, that's the route you should go. So... I'm going to go with the uh, I'm going to go opposite of you. I'm going to go the good guys get the win here. Ember Moon picks up the victory despite all odds. Boo. I'm right, you're <laughs> wrong. Uh, yeah, I, you might be. I mean, this one's a coin toss to me because I don't know like you I said may I be right. <laughs> I, I could I easily be crazy. Sorry. <laughs> I could easily see uh, Shotzi Blackheart being injured and them being down a member and Ember Moon having to overcome the odds. Uh, other than that, like like you said, or like we talked about earlier, Rhea Ripley turning heel would be because I don't think they're going to turn turning EO heel doesn't do anything because she's, she can't really cut promos as a heel. She's just EO Shirai, right? <laughs> she's been the champion for what seems like forever now beaten most of this roster already so to me you know turning her heel wouldn't make any sense the only name that stands out there would be Rhea as far as a heel turn so I'm assuming that something is going to happen to Shotzi in her tank maybe she drives her tank down the ring and hits a landmine or some shit (laughs) because they seem like they're trying to kill her in her tank is Onita involved in playing this fucking match is this FCW (laughs) It is. It is if I'm booking it. The tank just explodes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Mick Foley just runs out and goes, bang, bang, and just runs back out. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> uh, match number two, Undisputed Air. Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, and Bobby Fish versus Pat McAfee, Pete Dunn, Danny Burch, and Oni Lorcan. What do you think about this? And who do you oh. think is going to win? I think, and I know people are not going to agree with me. See, this thing, they're not going to have both heel teams win. I have more confidence, I think, in this one because Undisputed Era have always won, and they've always been the heels. Um, I don't think this feud's going anywhere after this. I think that the champions, Danny Burke, 
Danny Birch and uh, Oni Lorcan will be going tangling things up with the Undisputed Era. That that naturally makes the most sense. Uh, obviously, there's been history with both Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong, whoever you want to take out of that tag team against Pete Dunne. So there's animosity there. And we know uh, that Adam Cole and Pat McAfee don't like each other. So you can keep this going, but I think this should be, you know, Adam Cole won against Pat McAfee. That was the first step. Uh, them taking them down a notch. I think that the heels should win. I think that this should be the first time, just like they didn't get the ladder match win, this should be the first time they lose it, put them down a bit, and have them now more positioned as baby faces, trying to come back up and beat the heel team. Uh, and I think that Pat McAfee should actually get the win and the pin on Adam Cole to make a big statement. I know this kind of goes against all odds, but how would you feel about some interference in this match? Sure, bring it on. Fucking uh, someone else that maybe is is Hall, Ridge Holland. Is he still fucked? Yeah, I think he's pretty. Based on the way his ankle looked on that landing, I'm sure he might still be bad. Uh, but maybe someone like a Valter, a oh, hired gun. Man. Uh, I, I feel like the same thing, the Hill teams would win. I hate, you know, doing a de- like an interference, but, you know, Pat McAfee, you know, hook or crook, got He's them got that the ladder money. match win. He's got the money. He's got the swag. I don't think they're going to let him lose because I, I feel like the big money match is still him versus Adam Cole down the line. I feel like they're going to do that again, and they want him on their TV. So I feel like they're going to draw this out. I have the heels winning this one as well. I do think we might see some fuckery in this War Games match, which sounds crazy because it's a War Games match, but uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't necessarily have to be Walter. It could be you could you know throw anyone in there. What's Velveteen Dream doing? Because he's not on this fucking card. Maybe he decides he's gonna hang out with his buddy Pete Dunne. Yeah, that's a good point. That's definitely a good point. That leads us to our triple threat match for the NXT North American Championship, which can we just call it like the U.S. title or the TV title? I fucking I hate saying the North American Championship every time. No, because they're representing Canada, Chris. Jerk. (laughs) I really wish that um, (laughs) that they would have went through with. What was they were gonna have Balor win this title and then go to the UK and win that title as well? I wish they would have went through with that. That would have been good shit. Yep. Uh, Leon Ruff versus Johnny Gargano versus Damian Priest. Uh, this one I'm so torn on. I'm gonna go ahead and just bold prediction. I think Damian Priest picks it back up, and him and Gargano continue to feud, and Leon Ruff is just shuffled aside. I think this will be a very very good match. I think there's some crazy shit these guys can do in the ring. Damian Priest is very athletic, but can carry that big man Kane role in this type of match if he needs to. And Gargano is just absolutely incredible. Should be a very, very good match, but I have absolutely no idea where you go booking-wise outside of just Leon Ruff getting thrown out of the picture completely. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if I really want to see more Damian Priest and Johnny Gargano, but that's a possibility. Uh, I think I'm, I agree with you, actually. I think Damian Priest is going to win. I mean, just throw the title back on him. You could do that with Gargano, too, but it's like I think Damian makes more sense if you don't have room for him in the title picture, which obviously a title picture, which we'll have to make a set. I have to talk about a separate concept for this pay-per-view uh, that's not on the card. 
involving the heavyweight title, a rumor that's at least going on. Um, if, if there's not room for Damien in the title picture, put the North American title back on him. Uh, him and Johnny keep on feuding, or maybe Leon Ruff causes Johnny the loss, and he ends up getting eaten the pin against Damien for whatever reason. Maybe Damien takes out Leon right after he does something, and he fucking gives the crossroads or whatever he calls it, his version, to uh, a Johnny, one, two, three. And so Johnny wants more with Leon Ruff, and they can kind of finish that whole thing. And inevitably, like I said, I think that Leon Ruff is a good person that since he's been elevated to throw in the cruiserweight mix and kind of bring a little more prestige to that division. So we kind of talked about at length already. Damian Priest is who I think is going to win. Yeah, so next we have the strap match. Sorry, a motorcycle decided to... Uh, you sound flustered. Yes, sorry. Uh, my phone cut out there for a second. Um, so next... Oh, I think you're cutting out again, sir. Yeah. Oh, I can hear you uh, again, Chris. Okay, so uh, we have Dexter Loomis versus Cameron Grimes in a strap match. Who cares? <laughs> I, I'm i assuming Loomis just kills this guy and moves on. This feud needs to end for both guys, honestly. Loomis needs to win. Uh, obviously, Cameron Grimes, from what they've used him, he can eat the pin. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that this has to be a situation in which uh, they win. Or uh, uh, Loomis wins and it can elevate him. This match, they got to put on one hell of a fucking match. They don't need a teeter-tot with this. They should probably go after each other. Uh, watch Brody Lee and Cody and how they did it and try to, you know, just do something. Because both these guys are getting lower and lower. Even though I think they're good wrestlers and I like aspects about their performance, they're just getting lower and lower in my mind of people to care about. So show me... Uh, Show me something good. Show me something good. It's crazy to me that, you know, NXT somehow made it possible for you to be so high on Loomis and what they were doing with him originally to the point we're at now. Yeah. <laughs> really fucking ridiculous. And also, to see some of his stuff... Prior to this, an impact watching uh, Pluto TV and shit, and being like, "Hey, he's he already had this concept going. He was kind of doing it better, but he put on a bunch of muscle, and now he looks like a fucking monster. How the hell is this not working? He can work. They're just, I don't know, telling him to hold back and shit. He's like a super buff blonde Freddie Mercury. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was saying. <laughs> no." <laughs> It's just the stash. I'm still not over the stash. The stash is so great. Radio baby. <laughs> I don't remember that one. That's all. That leads us. Kaka. This leads me to the last match I have on the card. You said you had some rumors about a championship match with Balor, which would make sense because people are playing in his kitty litter or wherever the fuck. <laughs> but uh, the match I have. <sighs> the match I have next is Timothy Thatcher versus Tommaso Ciampa. Um. I, I I think Thatcher wins this by let's say by hook 
or crook in quotations around hook. I made a punny joke. Did you like it, Dan? I loved it. And I'm going to actually say the opposite, but by the same degree. Uh, this is the one I, don't, I have the least amount of who I think is going to win, but I think Champa will get it just by the skin of his teeth unless there is a chance with Timothy Thatcher having the advantage of having students get involved or something that can put him more over as a heel. Uh, but I think both these guys need this win. And, and if I'm going to be selfish, and that's going to basically dictate – my uh, my my uh, review or, or or prediction it would be that Tomas Champa gets it because I like Champa a little bit more. So there you go. <laughs> I like Champa a little bit more as well, but I think they're going to continue the feud, give them some more matches. Uh, my biggest problem with the card thus far, there's not enough fucking Kushida on this card. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, uh, lack of Kushida is not good. Um, but I like they, – they've been elevating him. So I want to see him in the North American title picture. Shit, if you had Kushida, I, I wouldn't want this because it seems like a baron at that point. But if you had him involved in the cruiserweight, that's another person that could elevate that whole entire division. But uh, the thing I was talking about, this is rumor. You know, I don't know if there's any smoke uh, or fire with the smoke or whatever the fuck the term is, but there will be an interaction and there will be a confrontation between Finn, Finn Balor and Karrion Cross at this pay-per-view. It won't be a match. Something will happen. I don't know if they're, if it, that Karrion will attack Finn Balor, if he's doing a promo, or if it would be something backstage. But apparently they're building to the next takeover being Killian Cross versus Demon Balor, potentially, uh, for the NXT title. Because both guys are finally getting to the point where they're uh, they're they're good to go. So that's something that could happen. Um, I think it makes sense. I could see the Demon part not happening, because that would mean that I think Killing Cross would have to beat the Demon, and he hasn't really used it in NXT, so I think that's the least likely out of the rumor itself but it would be a really fucking cool visual if they did that and Killian Cross is the first person to beat the Demon and get back that NXT title. That would put him over huge. So uh, definitely curious if there's any type of interaction tomorrow night, Sunday, at TakeOver between Finn Balor and Killian Cross, or if it's a bunch of bullshit. What do you think, Chris? Well, I mean... As Finn Balor said, even though he's not been on the show on Wednesday outside of video promos, he's there every week and always working on Wednesday. So I, I don't know what that means, but I, I could see them doing this. I don't know that I would do Demon versus Karrion Cross. I don't even know that I would do that match yet because you've made Karrion Cross this unstoppable monster who technically hasn't lost. I think he may have a DQ loss. And Balor's your champion. I mean, unless you're putting the title straight on Karrion Cross, I don't know that's the thing I go to first. I mean, I might do something, you know, channel your inner New Japan and do Kushida versus Balor first, maybe switch the title and have Balor chase it after Karrion Cross beats Kushida or something as opposed to that. But the interaction between the two, that should be good. It's just, oh, man, I've seen so much of the mythical versus mythical in WWE as of late, and it's not been good. Yeah, that's the wonder if they could actually pull it off. But even if it's not mythical, if it's just Balor gets jumped by Killing Cross and they build to the next tape cover for the two of them for the title, 
Uh, I think Finn Balor will bring Killian Cross to a good match. Um, and I, I, it's not that I don't think that Cross is that good, but that that will be probably one of his better performances. And I definitely think that Balor would put over Cross because originally, like you were in, you, you were insinuating, Balor was supposed to he I think he was gonna take the title from Walter. I think that was gonna be the person they built in the UK, but then obviously the pandemic hit. So. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it would make sense. Both of them have, you know, Finn Balor didn't have to give up the belt. Uh, obviously, Cross did. If he comes back and he's ready, he attacks him at this for whatever reason, you know, throughout an interview or something. Uh, that could set up a pretty cool match, even just between the two of them, how they are right now. And I would assume that Finn Balor would put over Killian Cross so we could do something else. But, uh, I love seeing. I would love to see also Kushido mix it up with Finn Balor, just personally. Yeah, I, mean, I, I if they're going to do something with the champion on this, that I, the, if Karrion Cross is good to go and, and Balor is good to go, you could do an attack segment. Um, it's crazy to me that he just broke his jaw like two months ago and he's good to go. Like, that's insane to me. <laughs> I don't know how. I mean, it's two places, too. And it must have been much more minor because why didn't they take the title off of him? That seems like it would have been a hell of a lot longer to get over. Maybe there is a possibility they could do a beatdown and then Finn Balor gets to heal up for however he wants to for the next month and just be off TV. And Karrion can kind of just, you know, start coming in with uh, promos, uh, even not wrestling uh, until he's ready. So maybe they could be uh, in the in the beginning works, Chris. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Um, do you want Demon Finn Balor, or would you like him to drop the title before becoming the Demon? I think that Demon Finn Balor should, and it should be sparely used. Uh, it has not been an NXT. Uh, if you really want to make Killing Cross look awesome, him beating him as Demon would be great. But, but if it was me, uh, even if Finn's not as big on the main roster as he once was or whatever, um, I don't think anyone should beat Demon Balor, honestly. I think that's something that his, you know, his get-out-of-jail-free card, basically. If you're going against a Demon, it's it's uh, it's lights out for you, most likely. But if Cross does it, and Finn's kind of talked about wanting to retire the Demon concept for a while, if he brings that because it's mystical versus mystical, and it loses, and he kind of takes it out of the picture, so he doesn't have to use that for a while. That could also be a good reasoning if you wanted to, and it would also make Killer Cross look that much bigger if he beats Demon Finn Balor. I guess it just depends on which wrestler you think can be the bigger star if they eventually go to the main roster. Is it is it Balor or is it, you know, is it uh, Karrion Cross? And mm, it's a, that's a good it's point. A hard, it's a hard question because. I don't want to say WWE killed Finn Balor because I don't think they intentionally did it. He, you know, he got injured after winning the title. Obviously they had big push and things in mind for him, but the last big moment I remember from him is him having a really good match with Brock Lesnar, which Brock Lesnar killed him, but (laughs) it was a really good match. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's a weird one because I guess it just depends on who you think, who you think will be the bigger star. And to me, if you, 
if you don't push Balor correctly, he would be the first guy I could see leave. Right? Yep. Like, when his contract is up, do you want the demon showing up in AEW? Or Prince going back to New Japan. Either or. Neither would be necessarily the best thing. <laughs> no. Spe- specifically not AEW. That would be probably very bad because, I mean, they'll probably have him show up as Prince Devitt. He do some kind of weird bullet club thing. Um, I, I don't know. I think people still really like Finn Balor. We, and we also kind of need... We did. We got it with AJ and him, but it wasn't like what I wanted. There was no aggression. It was a put together match due to people getting sick. You know, when Roman and Bray both got sick. Uh, but that match was fucking awesome. It was another highlight uh, of few with Finn Balor when he went against AJ as the Demon, and he got that win over AJ. So I still think if they build up anything, like if we're talking about this fancy booking, he's out of his contract. He goes AEW, especially if there's interaction. You know, he does kind of have a lot of relationship with the good brothers. Could he be like, hey, Kenny, I've beaten the other fucking leader. Now I'm taking out your ass if there is a bullet club by then. It's a lot of cool shit. Yeah. And that's that's the thing is I think WWE needs to think about how they book Finn Balor. And maybe if it is a Kyrian Cross, hey, we're just going to kill this guy and then strip the title from him or have him lose the title. Uh and then he goes back to Maine or something. Maybe that works a little better. Carrying uh, Cross, I could see as a big star. I'm just, man, I am just so suspect on anyone getting brought to the main roster right now. He's, he needs to get better in the ring. And I agree with you on that, too. It's the fact of, well, can they do it? Like Damian Priest and I think Killian Cross were two guys just like beforehand. I mean, it was Velveteen Dream and Aleister Black seemed like. No brainers. Uh, that didn't work out, obviously. And now you got Cross and Priest, and it's like you want them to see what they can do on there on Raw and SmackDown. But at the same time, you don't want to see them get fucked up. Keith Lee's a good example of that. Uh, Matt Riddle also, um, as of recently. Let's not even go in the past with so many other names that we've talked about. But uh, Killian Cross needs a little bit of work. And if there is any rumors, Chris, to Undertaker being more of a presence out there for some reason i think i said this on the other episode i see him wanting to take killing cross under his wing wanting to take dexter loomis under his wing certain guys there it seems obvious just like sean gravitated towards gargano adam cole velveteen dream i feel like taker would gravitate towards damian priest killer cross and dexter loomis specifically yeah, and I know people aren't going to want to hear this, but he, he also doesn't need to be the absolute best in the ring. He just needs to command the audience's exactly. attention and, you know, have good enough matches. I think uh, – I can't think of his manager's name, but her being with him is great. Do not split them up. And if you're going to send one to the main roster, make sure you send both. Don't separate them. Do any kind of weird shit. Yeah, but Skylar I, Bardot, she's great by herself. Yeah, it, I think she's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I don't necessarily like the TikTok thing. I get, I get it, but it's like it's not TikTok if you're using a fucking hourglass, <laughs> unless that's the joke. <laughs> um, and also Boogeyman, he called. He wants his gimmick back. 
uh, yeah, but outside of that, uh, I've really liked the stuff that she's been able to do with that character and the way they've portrayed her as a manager. And there's, I mean, out of all of the mystical characters they have, they have Loomis, they have the Fiend, um, I guess you have the Demon, who else? Damien Priest. This is the first one that I think that has legs as a long-term character. And it may not be Undertaker level, but it could definitely be like a Kane. You know? Oh, you forgot one too, though. It's okay because of what happens. Uh, Alistair Black. That's another uh, mystical character. Yeah, and yeah. with Alistair Black, I just... Uh, yeah. Well, as soon as he hit the main roster... as I'm as just saying, of, let me just throw this fucking out there in the universe. <laughs> If Aleister Black, if, if there is some type of confrontation with Finn Balor and Karrion Cross, and you build up something, if you want to throw another wrench in it, man, and all of a sudden Aleister Black comes out and says that he should be the champion and fucking kicks both of them in the face, that I, I, I'd, I'd be down for that. I don't care. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, the, the mystic guy. So If I'm Aleister Black, I don't do shit. If they ask me to do something, I just don't even show up. Cause... And just get the fuck out of there. Yeah, I mean, how they treated Zelina is really shitty, honestly. Disgusting. And that's his wife, and, uh, you know, sometimes chivalry's not dead. Maybe you roundhouse kick Vince McMahon in the face. <laughs> not, I mean, Brett, Brett Hart punched him. <laughs> see see how much you can get away with. Um, Nails tried to kill him. <laughs> that's true, but Nails is crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 man, the... The waste of Aleister Black is still baffling. And I know Paul was trying his hardest to get this guy pushed. I, I guess Vince just didn't see it. Like, for Vince to book someone... How way, It's because of the comparison. To me, it's because of the comparisons to The Undertaker. I don't even think Vince thought of that. I, I think he didn't even see it in him. I think that was something that Hunter probably saw in early creative with Aleister Black and was like, he kind of, he has, he has a little bit of a taker feel, but you know, Aleister Black very much what, what Darby Allen was doing with the whole sting thing. He was like, I think takers one of the best, but you know, I didn't even watch WWE for a long time. I was a fan of, of Muda and Hayabusa and Jushin Liger when I was younger. Those were my favorite wrestlers. Cause I was in fucking Amsterdam and, um, you know, just being weary about being labeled very Undertaker-like, but it's kind of impossible. But he lost his music. They changed his look. He fucking lost his eye. He was in closets forever. Like, he was such a badass, stoic character that came out there, beat people's ass, had this weird, cultic, you know, occult, I should say, like, concept going. And obviously, Hunter saw that in him. Obviously, from Paul Heyman, from what he says, saw something similar but maybe that was uh, a lot to be uh, you know, compared to. And, and uh, maybe Vince was either aggravated by the comparison or he didn't even see that in the first place. And no one really got that to him, that he could be something similar. I, I think there's more just the fans. You know when the fans get behind something like, oh, this guy could be the next Undertaker. You should use him here. It's like Vince buries them. Or like if they're not what Dolph wants. Dolph, let me talk to you, Dolph. Come in the office. The people have been saying you're a lot like Shawn Michaels. So for the next 
forever. We're going to just make you a joke and have you bounce around like a fucking idiot and sell for everyone. Wait, what? I mean, who that like, wasn't him and Ricochet a tag team? Isn't that how they brought him onto the main roster? Like, they Ugh. fucked him up from the get-go, if I'm being completely honest. Ugh. Let's do this for our listeners out there. I'm going to name some names. You give me a thumbs up or thumbs down from them hitting the main roster. And I'll give some that I think are succeeding. Street Profits. Yeah, they're thumbs. doing good. Okay, so thumbs up. Uh, heavy Machinery. I mean, Otis, thumbs up. Tucker, thumbs down. Tag Team, thumbs down. Um, Otis was in the main event for like the second time. I don't think he's doing great, but they're doing something with him. American Alpha. Thumbs fucking down. And they got the wrong son. (laughs) Ricochet. Down. Aleister Black. In a closet somewhere, completely down. Uh, Killian Cross. Killian Dane? Killian Dane. Oh, thumbs down. He went back to fucking NXT and they still don't have shit for him. Uh, War Machine, Viking Raiders. Down. I mean, they could have the championship belts, but no one gave a fuck about them. (laughs) Um, let's see if I'm forgetting anyone here. Uh, I feel like there's a big name that's eluding me. Oh, I can give you a couple. How about that? Matt Riddle? Uh, thumbs down because they're making him a dork. They're not getting that he's actually someone that's an intense MMA fighter. They're just going for the full hippie over fucking RVD, just over the top bullshit. Like that's all they see. And his name's Matt Riddle, by the way. He's an ex UFC fighter. Fucking stupid. <laughs> Keith Lee. I mean, he's got a win over Randy Orton. I mean, I'm trying to justify trying to give him a thumbs up, but I have to give him a thumbs down. I mean, he has been involved in the heavyweight picture. He's newer to the main roster. I get that. But a lot of the decisions they have have been terrible compared to what they did on NXT, especially towards the the end. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Everything else I've agreed with you on, I'm in the middle on this one. I'm. Right now, I'm kind of thumbs up because I don't think they've done Keith Lee too dirty yet. I feel like there's still hope with Matt Riddle. <sighs> there's no hope, for instance, or like, you know, Viking Raiders. You change their name from fucking War Machine to Viking Raiders because you don't want war in their name, but you have a fucking show called War Games. Like, jump off a building, kill yourself. <laughs> Let Sorry. me throw some at you. Uh, okay. All right, Samoa Joe. Oh, God. That one's one hard. Uh, thumbs down. Just, But some of that is Joe's, not Joe's fault, but injury. I think they had more plan for Joe. Uh, Alistair Black, obviously, was the one that we initially talked about. Thumbs down. Um, these next two, I think it's, I could see myself personally saying thumbs up, but, you know, Kevin Owens. Uh, thumbs up for Kevin Owens. He, he's not used as well as I think he should be, but I mean, like that run with Jericho, he was the top. I mean, him and Jericho were the top guys, the the main reason to watch Raw, and he's a former Universal Champion, and they always have him involved in like major storylines. So while I hate the way they book him, I can't 
I can't say thumbs down. Could I book him better? Yes. <laughs> um, Sammy. Thumbs down. Uh, Cesaro. Been in three major tag teams, all winning the title. There is that. He had a great fucking, you know, set of matches with Sheamus before they became the bar. But really, compared to what his peers and everyone else thinks of him, do you think that he was he's been treated perfectly? No, I mean, I would say as far as the treatment on the main roster, thumbs down. Like, Claudio Casanolia was great, and he was really good in NXT, and he is damn sure one of the best workers they have on their fucking roster. Even if you put him in a match with people that don't know what the fuck they're doing, he somehow pulls a good match out. All right, so um, I'm gonna say you're gonna you're gonna figure this out. Three Musketeers, the New Japan of the 2000s. We have Shibata, we have Tanahashi, and we have who? Nakamura. How about him? Yes or no? <laughs> on him being utilized properly on the main product. It's a massive thumbs down, but also I don't care because, like. It seems like Nakamura is just living his best life. <laughs> he just right, wants to surf and hang out. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, everyone pretty much. Uh, well, what about ladies? I think Asuka obviously is one of the best. I would say Asuka's in the five with the uh, four horsewomen. The, all of them came from NXT. Um, Ember went back to NXT, so that's probably good for her. Uh, is there a female that I'm not thinking of that's being treated like shit on the main roster from NXT? I think Bianca, they're pushing. Yeah, Bianca, they corrected, so I can't give them a thumbs down there. But, I mean, she was part of the Street Profits for a while. So, if a couple months ago, this would have been a thumbs down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, let's see. I'm trying to think of one. Ruby Riot. Yeah, but, you know, Ruby was kind of like the one that always lost inevitably anyways, and now her and Liv Morgan, I guess, are a tag team. Yeah, I, I, yeah, she, she should be a little bit higher up. Um, I had someone, I forgot who the fuck. I mean, Carrie Sane, obviously, no. Shayna? No, I, I don't think so. She should be, she, dude, don't even get me started. Shayna's another one where it's like, she should be a fucking force to be reckoned with, and she's not. Yeah, let's just go ahead and put it out there. Give up on the tag team experiment. It it failed. It's done. No one cares. Just let it go. You have <laughs> you don't have any tag teams. You can't have a tag division with no tag teams. They don't even know that for the main roster for the men's tag team titles. For both shows. There's like three tag teams on both of them. We've already gone into us. Um but yeah, I agree with you. This is a good at least I hope that you guys like our breakdown kind of with the NXT superstars and what has happened. So, but, um, I don't know. Smack- Do we have any more? We have SmackDown. I can't think oh, of any Lord. more. <laughs> we can, uh, quickly go through SmackDown, I guess. Um, all the Roman shit was great. Yeah. So we have the Pat Patterson tribute. SmackDown starts out with the roster, um, Roman Reigns standing front and center, but you had Vince McMahon, Gerald Briscoe, Sergeant Slaughter, Kevin Owens, Big E, Sasha Banks. Um, everyone you would 
that probably had interaction with Pat Patterson was there. At ringside, Michael Cole discussed the WWE Hall of Famer Pat Patterson in his passing this week. He asked for a moment of silence, and they did a 10-bell salute, which they don't always do. Um, and then the fans, well, it says the fans, but the digital fans, which I, in the building, I think people probably would have done this as well, gave a thank you, Pat chant, which I thought was was good. Um, how did you like the tribute? And was there anything that stood out to you? Vince looks really on the verge of having an emotional breakdown. Um, but, uh, that, and that was kind of sad, but, uh, good tribute, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's how they did it. They did a great job on NXT. They did a great job on, SmackDown, especially giving us more mini packages and also sending all those videos on Twitter and Facebook, especially the one with him and Gerald Briscoe that I definitely think people should watch. Um, really good stuff. Have to agree with you there. The only thing I would have done, I mean, I probably would have shown the video package they did for NXT just because it was so good. You could have used it across all your products. Honestly, for maybe people that don't watch NXT, I, I may have used that same video package. Yeah, I could see that. Roman Reigns interview. After the opening thing, Kayla Braxton was standing in the ring. She introduced her guest, the WWE Universal Champion, the big dog, Roman Reigns. She listed all of his accomplishments and championships. Reigns walks to the ring with Heyman in tow and Jey Uso. Reigns didn't like Braxton's introduction and had Heyman add to it. They recapped Reigns' harsh comments at Uso and Uso's attacks on Otis and Brian. They recap. Uh, the recap included Kevin Owens attacking Uso and telling Reigns that he, he doesn't fear him. Braxton basically asked Reigns if he's afraid of Owens. Reigns gets pissed off at her comments because it's a dumbass question and noted a seasoned veteran like Michael Cole would have, should have done this interview. He told her to move along. Braxton then asked uh, Reigns about manipulating Uso. This pissed Reigns off further, and he asked Braxton if she prepared for this interview. He noted they gave her an opportunity, and she blew it. He pointed out that Paul Heyman's been working with her on Talking Smack. Heyman pushed to give her this chance, and she basically fucked it up, is what he was insinuating. Reigns demanded that Heyman handle, handle this amateur. Heyman began praising Reigns. Kevin Owens' music hit, and he made his way to the ring. Demanded a match with Reigns right now and not later. Uso grabbed the mic and accepted the challenge. Owens noted he's talking to Reigns. Um, and Reigns is the head of the table, so he challenged him to the T to a TLC match at TLC. Uh, Reigns then noted that Uso accepted the ch uh, accepted the challenge. Reigns confirmed and accepted Owens' challenge at the pay-per-view. Reigns then pointed out that he won't fight right now because he's a gentleman and there's a woman in the ring. Kevin Owens then mocked him for not fighting right now. They announced a special uh, Pat Patterson tribute match featuring the internet intercontinental champion, Sami Zayn and another former uh, IC champion for later on in the, in the night. So what did you think about this segment? Holy shit. I love Kayla getting roasted by Roman Reigns. It's great. It reminds me of the rock and uh, coach. It was great. Kayla has been better and better. Uh, I think it was actually the bump that really kind of, helped her get out of just being so fucking robotic, or maybe they actually allowed her to be a personality because they saw what she was doing on the bump. But she has been good, especially like on the after show on um, 
talking smack with her and Paul Heyman. They went into it, and I told you, like, basically Paul was really apologizing for, you know, everything that happened, that she didn't do anything wrong, and it wasn't her, and that everything that Kevin Owens did was completely disgusting and despicable, and that him and Roman completely apologized based on it. It was Paul Heyman's brilliant. You know that he's all over this. Roman has been brilliant. He he's Don Carleone. He's he's very smooth. Even when he get his, gets angry, he might have like a, a frown on his face, but he talks directly and just I, I don't know. It's 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 brilliant. I like the fact that there is a wrinkle still with Jay fucking up. Um, I love that Kevin Owens had, didn't give a shit and he was ready to go right then and there. It really provided for that character, um, and I loved him, you know, giving Kayla crap for asking the wrong questions. So it was a uh, it was good, good opening, great stuff from Roman. We have given a lot of shit to WWE and NXT over the you know, I let's say past six or seven months, booking decisions. We even did the NXT thumbs up, thumbs down, as far as how they bring up. This is one thing they're not fucking up. Roman Reigns is one of the best heels in the business. This is a great storyline. It took them a long time to get there, but holy shit, are they hitting a home run. This is one thing you can look on their product and be like, he may be the best heel they've had in the past 10 years. Yeah, I would definitely say so. All right, so next up, we have Natalia versus Bailey. Uh, this was weird. They didn't have a whole lot of time. Bianca Belair was on commentary. She just wore some sunglasses and she didn't really do very good on commentary. And uh, Natalia took an early advantage by sending Bailey into the ring steps to gain control. They went to the break. Like I said, very short match back from the break. Bailey was in control over Natalia. Cause that's how this shit works. The heel, when you come back from the break on SmackDown is always going to be in control. Um, Natalia attempted the sharpshooter, but Bailey pushed her off. She followed up with a running knee. Bailey missed a charge in the corner. Natalia locked on the sharpshooter and just straight one. Belair got up from the announce table and mocked Bailey. So the way to book the <laughs> the Bailey feud is that she wasn't distracted by Bianca. She wasn't pissed off that Bianca was really at ringside. She just straight tapped to the sharpshooter from Natalia after holding the title for like some ungodly amount of time. Was it like 300 days or something? 400 days or something? Bro, I am going to assume, and maybe I'm wrong, I'm going to assume that Bianca actually fucked up. Because to me, she was kind of maybe having problems with the whole commentary thing. Uh, it, it seemed like it. And then she forgot her cue where she was supposed to distract her. Because she was clapping from her seat. But like, how the hell is that going to be much of a distraction for Bailey? I just thought it was really awkward. Natalia can take a win over anyone most of the time. She can also take a loss against anyone, and she's, like, neutral, fine. Uh, so it's not too terrible for Bailey, but Bailey should not have tapped out. It doesn't make her look good going against Bianca. There should have been some type of, maybe not interference, but head games that caused her to maybe miss grabbing the rope, and then Natalia drags her back. I mean, they could have done several fucking things for the, this to make sense. It was not a squash match, but a very short match where Bailey straight up lost, and now we're supposed to be intrigued in a match build up with her and Bianca after she was the champion for, like you said, however fucking long. Dumb. 
Yeah, and this is also coming off a Survivor series where who the hell pinned her? I don't even recall. She was like the second person eliminated. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Peyton Royce. Yeah, you had Peyton Royce pin her, and now she submitted to Natalia with no interference. And, and look, if it's a fuck-up, it's a fuck-up, right? But maybe you just tell, hey, Natalia, yo, she fucked up. <laughs> Let me get a rope break or something. So I'm going to blame everyone involved in this, the ref, the performers. But it's also a hard time limit, you know? They, they're Like I said, this is a very, very short match. Um, weird. We come back from the break. We get uh, another celebration of Pat Patterson. They showed various tweets dedicated to Pat Patterson from Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan, Rey Mysterio, and, and many more. They had the original Intercontinental Championship belt that Pat Patterson won in a fictitious tournament in Rio de Janeiro, which is hilarious because even in death, Pat Patterson is awesome. Oh, the writer had to bring that up. Come on. Throwing some shade. God, he won that title, damn it. <laughs> I love I love it. I love it so much. Pat Patterson's amazing. Uh, they showed an incredible Pat Patterson tribute video. Oh, they did show this NXT. I must have missed this. Uh, they did show the My Way video from NXT. Okay, so I must have just missed this on the Hulu version or something. Uh, they showed pictures and clips from his career and included Bruno San Martino, Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Dusty Rhodes, and many more. This was an incredibly touching and emotional video. Um, they the writer here of these notes said possibly one of the best WWE tribute videos. My personal favorite was the dusty Rhodes one because they started it with my hand is reaching out and touching your hand. And I cried like touching a baby. Your hand. Yeah. <laughs> I love, by the way, one of my favorite pictures on that uh, was the picture of him and old dusty just hanging out. Like they look like, I guess they, I'm assuming they were backstage at NXT at some point, but God damn, man. Ugh. Two of the most brilliant minds in wrestling of all time. Yep. And uh, if you guys want to hear more about Pat Patterson or thoughts on Pat Patterson, we did, like I said, like we talked about earlier, uh, the AEW show, we did a whole tribute and dedication to Pat Patterson. So make sure you check that out. Um, Next, we have the Pat Patterson tribute match with Daniel Bryan, Big E, and Rey Mysterio versus Dolph Ziggler, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Sami Zayn. This was a really good match. Everyone, to me, everyone in the match really worked their ass off. Uh, Mysterio and Nakamura started the match off. They went back and forth. Mysterio uh, took Nakamura down with a head scissors, so he tagged out. Big E overpowered Ziggler, gained the advantage for the baby faces. Um, then Brian gets tagged in. He works over Ziggler's arm and was firmly in control. Zane grabs Brian's leg, which causes distraction, and Ziggler jumped Brian. Zane was uh, bragging at ringside when Daniel Bryan recovered and hit a suicide dive on Sami Zayn. Brian climbed to the top, but Ziggler rocked Daniel Bryan with a dropkick. Daniel Bryan fell hard to the floor. Back from the break, because we have to have a break. The heels were firmly in control, because that's how you do it on SmackDown, uh, until Brian and Ziggler uh, got tingled up in the center of the ring and there's a big fallout Big E got the hot tag uh ran wild over nakamura who got the tag as well Big E hit a splash on nakamura nakamura recovered and rocked biggie with a kick to the head mysterio tags himself in hits a big springboard sunset flip for a near fall uh sammy zane fights back hits a blue thunder bomb 
another near fall than Brian and Ziggler. Beating the shit out of each other in the corners after tagging in. Brian hits a Hurricane Rana off the top turnbuckle, but Dolph Ziggler rolls through for a near fall, basically a pin attempt. Uh, Daniel Bryan and Dolph Ziggler go back and forth trading pin attempts, and then Ziggler hits the Famouser, the fame asser, <laughs> for another near fall. Um, Sami Zayn makes the blind tag. Ziggler attempts a super kick, but Daniel Bryan avoids it and hits the running knee. Sami Zayn jumped in and rolled up Bryan for a near fall. Daniel Bryan locks in the yes lock, but Sami Zayn made it to the ropes. Sami Zayn and uh, Daniel Bryan traded pin attempts. The finish came when Daniel Bryan used the inside cradle for a win. After the match, uh, the heels attempted to jump the baby faces but failed. They get ran out of the ring, and Mysterio ends up hitting a 619, and Big E hit the big ending, and everyone sends home happy. The baby faces win the match. One thing I will say, I thought this match was fucking great. It's brought to me outside of like segments. This was the best thing on the show. It was definitely the best match on the show. And it made me want so much more Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn. Completely agree. I love the match. You had great people representing the IC title on both sides, I think. Um, it highlighted all the baby faces. Um, it highlighted the heels that they needed to, to highlight, basically, which was Sami Zayn, who is the current champion. Um, you know, I, I like that everyone kind of, between Biggie and especially Sammy, when he got a chance to talk on the camera real quick, like saying, this is for you, Pat. I love the display of the original Intercontinental title. I will not say that I was happy when someone uh, not only made a really great Pat Patterson on WWE 2K uh, 19, like I normally play. Or is it 18? Whatever one's a good one. The last two have sucked. I think it was 19. Um, but they made Pat and the actual title itself, so I had an awesome match with Sami Zayn and his IC title at the Cow Palace. Uh, stuff that I love about that game. That's all, all I got to say. But um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. It was definitely spot, 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 spot. Everyone got their shit in. The only thing I didn't like is afterwards when they were kicking his ass. I hate – like Dolph sometimes is amazing at selling, and sometimes he's way too over the top, uh, like HBK against Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam times five. Uh, and that – like when he got put – I forgot what Daniel Bryan did to him, but that basically – he was just like you know stumbling around the ring, trolling on one foot, very cartoonish. I guess Flair-esque, if you will. I mean you might want to – defend him by saying something that but anyways he got right in position for the 619 that happened and then you know it finished off with uh who was the third person um in their group oh biggie doing the big ending uh but a bunch of great wrestlers doing a bunch of fun spots in a fun match that was dedicated to an awesome wrestler and i really think that they tried to go out there and you know kind of honor pat so i, I really appreciated that what do you think about Big E's new theme song? I think that should have been fucking... Uh, I think Big E can... I mean, if you really want to separate him from the New Day, that's fine. But he's still doing the gyrations and shit. And, and until he settles that stuff down, I understand you're trying to make him individual. He's already a star because of New Day. He can come up to come out to New Day music. That should have been Keith Lee's music! That was the best fucking Keith Lee music since the goddamn original! <laughs> fucking stupid. That's so, probably because... No. Maybe I'm maybe. fine with it, <laughs> but that should have been Biggie's music. 
and Big E should be or that that should have been that should have been a uh, fucking Keith Lee's music and Big E should be coming out still to the thing. But for Big E, it's good theme music, I guess. Okay, I guess my follow-up question to that would be like, did Keith Lee listen to any of the music they sent him before being like, yeah, that seems like a good theme, or was it just Big E was sitting in a lab? <laughs> And just listening to hundreds of generic songs and was like, oh, that one seems okay. Let's roll with that. So apparently they gave him all the songs he's had. He's had, I think, three or four before the one he settled on. Uh, the one that he settled on, they, he actually is rapping in it. And it sounds the most like his old one, the one that he, I think, came out to at Survivor Series. And it's fine, but God, that first one was so perfect. And I understand this is just like... The other songs, like Aleister Black's song, that that one company did all of it and shit, and now they left, so they don't have the rights to it, but still sucks. If if I was Big E, I would convince him to hire DMX. Do X gonna give it to you, but E gonna give it to you, and have that be my interest theme. He gonna give it to you. What? Yeah, see? <laughs> Fuck getting it on your own. X gonna, gonna deliver it to you? Yeah. Pop, pop. Uh, so let's move along. I liked the Big E theme song. I had no problems with it. I think. Uh, um, I Me don't know. either. Me either. I, I liked it. I liked it. But I'm just saying. It's. I mean, it's pointless to separate them if they're all going to show up on the same pay per view and interact. You might as well just have them. Like, there's no reason why Big E would need to change his theme music. Unless he's just tired of doing, like, oh, San Francisco or whatever. Unless they're just trying to kill Don't you that. dare! Sorry, I'm, I'm, I want to hear that still, though. But, I mean, it's it's really weird when you just have to continuously say Jacksonville over and over again. Or Orlando. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's why. I, I have no idea. All right, we get a SmackDown's Women Champion uh, the SmackDown's women champion, Sasha Banks and Carmella in an interview. This sucked. Sasha Banks, not a great baby face. Uh, basically, they recapped the they recapped the feud. Banks and Carmella were in separate locations due to the brawl last week, which is fucking weird because WWE. Uh, Michael Cole wanted to start the interview with Carmella, but Banks interrupted. She noted Carmella got to talk last week. They talked about knowing each other since the performance center. Carmella noted she won the money in the bank, but Banks pointed out she needed help, which she did. Uh, didn't like either Enzo or Cass helped her get the briefcase? Who helped her get the briefcase? Um, the little scrawny dude without a chin. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The guy that was feuding James with, Ellsworth. Uh, yeah, the guy that was feuding with AJ. That's right. Uh, Carmella claimed that Banks is jealous of her. Banks, Banks's dream is to be a WWE superstar. Carmella walked into the performance center and it all came easy to her. Which, uh, like I said, this was not very good. They argued back and forth. Banks accepted Carmella's challenge. That sets up the match at TLC. And uh, Carmella snapped her fingers and her part of the screen turned off. This was bad. Uh, this was bad. Sasha still doesn't know if she's a babyface or heel. She's catering back towards some of the heel stuff that she used to do. Um, like the ha 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 ha, all that type of shit. It's not necessary. you got to tweak it now. You're a babyface. It's, it's obvious, especially if you're going against a heel opponent like Carmella. 
Carmella did a great job on Talking Smack uh, when he was talking to Kayla and Paul Heyman. Um, but on this, she didn't get as much of a chance to talk. She actually got some good facts out. I didn't realize that her title reigns together is more than all of the individual ones Sasha's have had. Um, you know, the fact that she has beaten Charlotte, she's beaten Oscar twice, you know, even though we know how she did it, she's got good credibility a little bit going in. Carmella is a good character better than she is a wrestler, by far. But she actually is a good character. And I thought that this whole thing sucked and that what she was able to display and, and, and vibe off of Kayla and uh, Paul at Talking Smack was a lot better. I don't expect this match to be that great at all. But um, for a first opponent, for Sasha, it's fine. I just – Sasha has had one problem. I think that most fans of Sasha, we – because of her demeanor when she comes on the entrance and this attitude, we automatically think that she is a good talker. Uh, and she's really not. She actually struggles with that, I think, the most. She's got a great personality, but that is something that she kind of has tr- problems with. So she needs to bring it a little bit more, and she needs to figure out what the fuck Sasha Banks, the boss, the blueprint. That's not really the blueprint because that's Matt Morgan, and he still wants a uh, a message from you asking for that, by the way. But anyways, um, I love you, Sasha. Uh, but, you know, um, figure out what you are. If you're a babyface, adapt yourself to a babyface. And um, I thought Carmella was actually doing better than her on the mic throughout the whole segment, but I didn't care. I think one is better at reading lines than the other one because this one seems so formulaic, like it was direct written promos, and they put them in a room. And and that's the thing. I, I completely agree with you, and that's the thing is that you can tell in Talking Smack they don't have scripts. This is like how Talking Smack was back in the day where they can just talk and do what they want. And honestly, I was shown that Carmella can do it with a script if she has to, but also she can also do it a little bit by herself. And I've watched Talking Smack. I haven't seen Sasha do that all the time. She's had issues. Yeah, okay. So I, I haven't watched all of Talking Smack, but I would say maybe Sasha suffers a little bit from, you know, like the Usos when they were baby faces or the Roman Reigns when he was a baby face and they give them these big, long convoluted fucking scripts. It's hard to get over your personality, you know, as a character, but Sasha is just naturally, I mean, like when your uncle is Snoop Dogg and he's the reason you got a WWE tryout in most of your NXT run, which is being a heel as a heel, (laughs) (laughs) um but i don't know there's a lot to love about sasha she's phenomenal in the ring i don't think that she'll ever be the top baby face they want um and maybe they should have flip-flopped her and bailey like i said to me if you were booking that same promo for even with bailey losing the title that picture of them in that tag team and it's starting to descend i probably would have made Bailey, the sympathetic baby face, uh, even done like a little bit of like something like Stone Cold would have done, where it's like, well, you or, you know, anyone she could have pointed out that Sasha took her ball and went home after yep. they lost the tag team titles. Like, I think that would have been a better build. It's easier to get Bailey over as a baby face. 
and I think Bailey's better on the mic, if I'm being completely honest. I don't think she's better in the ring uh, than Sasha. She's better on the mic as a heel, for sure. And that's uh, crazy. And she tries very fucking hard in the ring. Um, her, Bailey's move set, I think, holds her back more than anything else, if I'm being completely honest. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. This whole thing's weird. Sasha is not a good heel or not a good baby face. And she's going against the baby face and Bianca Belair. So they have to do a kind of slow burn. I mean, eventually, you know, if Bianca beats Bailey, which is going to happen, you have to turn Sasha, Sasha beats Carmella. Yeah. You have to turn Sasha back heel. <laughs> Unless you're just going to go back to Sasha and, and Bailey again. Ooh, which... that's a good point. So yeah, like it's it's just a weird thing. I I thought this was not the the highlight of the show for sure. This next one is baffling to me because All right. So, Steve Cutler and Wesley Blake, they're the Forgotten Sons, right? Yep. Okay. So, what happened to Gunner? <laughs> I have an idea of it. As a prediction, but I'll I'll get to that at the end of it. Um, well, no, I can talk about it right now. I think they decided the the uh, whatever the fuck they, the Forgotten Sons bad idea. Uh, let's separate this. And either with Gunner, we don't know about some nagging injury because remember in NXT he hadn't wrestled a lot at all. He would have like pretty short matches, him squashing and stuff like that. But then for a long time. You know, after he lost a couple times, he was just escorting them as a tag team. Um, so I don't know. There could be a possibility of a nagging injury that they don't want to put him in that position. Or they have these guys be with King Corbin for whatever reason. I mean, you have to realize Wesley Blake was Buddy Murphy's tag partner. So there is history involved in them. That's when Alexa Bliss, I think, was their uh, valet in NXT. So they could kind of go down that route if, of he's involving people that they know. But then Gunner, you know, Jackson Riker, I'm assuming maybe if he's not got some weird injury, they're building him by himself for something else completely. Like maybe Vince sees potential as him by himself, and he sees the other one as a tag team he can try to get over with uh, Baron Corbin. I don't know how that would work, but still. Yeah, I was going to say, no one being Corbin's lackeys will ever get over. Um, also, Maybe the fact that Blake has something to do with Murphy is what I would assume. Maybe. I uh, I just wrote, this sucked. Very slow match. Also, why the fuck is Murphy taking a pin here? So, there's that. <laughs> I can read a breakdown of this match, but that is how I felt about Don't. it. It, I, I agree with you. I, I don't know what it benefits those two guys to be put with Corbin, uh, because honestly, if you look at something that should have been even more beneficial, the Miztourage with Miz didn't really help them out that much at all. This is even a worse situation with Baron Corbin. I guess you pull the fact that Blake and fucking, if you're now setting up something against Mysterios, which you kind of built to a little bit, uh, with Buddy... You know, that's his ex-tag partner, so there's something personal. I just hope that if they're separated, there was something different that Jackson Riker is going to be pushed by himself in a big way because I think he should. 
I think he could be a big fucking mean heel uh, on Raw or SmackDown. I'm hoping that maybe Gunner is almost out of his contract and can go work back in Impact. Um, he was a great, <laughs> yeah. He was a great NWA champion. He was really good in Impact. He was the best part about the Forgotten Sons. I know he said some controversial things as a Trump supporter and some weird shit on the internet that pissed a lot of people off. Maybe that's why he is not part of this group. But uh, Baron Corbin is a piss poor uh, substitute. Oh, uh. As He's a piss poor substitute for a mouthpiece of this team <laughs> in comparison to Gunner or Jackson Riker. Uh, and if they start dressing up like jesters and shit, I'm literally out every match. I'm just going to like not watch it and just leave the room. Uh, also Ray or Dominic Mysterio. What the fuck is with this Pepto Bismol turtleneck? Hey man, you know, he's just trying to be stylish and shit. He's just doing his thing. Just let him have his, let him have his day. There's a picture of the rock and his turtleneck and Dominic Mysterio in the tur- turtleneck oh side by side. Oh my god. <laughs> the famous fanny pack rock picture. If you guys want to see it, check out at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. I retweeted this. It's hilarious. I don't know what Dominic was doing with his Pepto-Bismol turtleneck. Um, but it's actually kind of incredible. If he was a heel, this would have worked so good. <laughs> like, this is how really the movie come out. It's how, if he was a heel, he should come out dressed like this every week. It was just so ridiculous. Um, yeah, I don't know what this means for Corbin. I don't know what this means for his new faction. At least there's a new tag team, I guess. If they're just going to be feuding with the Mysterios, man, that's really hard to care about. And why is Murphy still part of the Mysterios? I know they're doing this elite. <laughs> why isn't Ray in something bigger? Why is he a part of this? I don't know. How much does Ray weigh? Maybe he can go down to NXT and be on 205 Live. Show well, him how the real you know, and you're going to bring does. it up. You're going to bring it up soon, but I will say that from what I've heard, I think it was I think it was off the Observer. I'm almost positive, but they see something in WWE about a feud with Kalisto and Rey Mysterio Jr. Um, and we had Kalisto, you know, interrupting one of the bigger promos between Kevin Owens and McKenzie, or maybe it was maybe it was uh, uh not McKenzie. I don't remember exactly which which interview it was, but it, it, it was, was it, um, Kevin Owens and yeah, it was the Kevin Owens interview. Yeah, and so so he interrupted it. Apparently, they they are eventually trying to position them two against each other. I don't have a thing against Kalisto. I think that they've always because they're the exact same fucking height and they're both the bulky style. I it, it, I think he's a good wrestler, but honestly, the two other guys in his old faction that are now chasing for the 24/7 title, one of them being Grand Metalik that was huge over in Mexico, I think it's kind of a joke that they're going to try to go for a Kalisto Ray program if that is in the works, if that is true. So this is not taking anything away from Ray because I think Ray is absolutely phenomenal. But if you go back and you want to pull up the best Ray Mysterio matches, they're not against other luchadors of his size. He plays better as being the undersized guy, maybe against someone yep. more technical like a Dean Malenko, a Chris Jericho, and Eddie Guerrero, um, so that his lucha moves make a bit more sense. Like his the crazy shit that Ray does. 
he has to do because he's at a disadvantage on catch wrestling. Uh, so, you know, him versus Kalisto doesn't do anything for me. And also, if that's what they were trying to do, Kevin Owens buries Kalisto right off the bat because he's like, what's with the fedora? And like Kalisto's like, what's a fedora? And he's like, it's a hat. It, <laughs> you're wearing so if that's the way that you're trying to set up to a Rey Mysterio Kalisto thing that means anything at all uh you already fucked it up I, I hope I agree but and that that was a funny ass part I hope Metalik and uh and Dorado are both almost done with their contracts because I'm sure AAA or fucking um CMML would take them back in a heartbeat so I mean, I mean, the big feud you would want to have with Mysterio if you were able to bring in any luchador and have really good matches outside of just like, you know, making Ricochet Prince Puma. Exactly. I was about to say besides that. <laughs> or Sami Zayn El Generico, which the world would love. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I would, you know, I Mystico. Yeah. I know they've went that path before, but. And it's now kind of like over. I agree. <laughs> All right, well, or moving Phoenix. On. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Well, it has happened, but it won't happen on WWE stage. Sorry. Well, it, yeah, and, and Ray just resigned for like three years or whatever because he wants his son to have a good position in the company. And look, good for Ray, man. Look after your own. Ray Mysterio is treated well in WWE for the most part. So, you know, good on Ray. Love him. I just don't think Kalisto is the. I don't know. Is that your next? Is that the only person you can find out of all of the talent that you have could be the guy that Ray is going to put over? Yep. Like not, you know, like it doesn't have to be a luchador that Ray puts over. You don't have to do a mask versus mask. Like it would have made more sense if you did Andrade. Kushida. Kushida. <laughs> yes. You get what I'm saying. There's a lot of people. You, if you want to give a rub to someone, it doesn't necessarily have to be Kalisto, who you've buried for three years. I agree. Moving along. <laughs> Kevin Owens and Otis defeated Universal Champion Roman Reigns and Jey Uso via disqualification. Uh, this was a good match until the finish. There's things that you didn't like about the finish. But I will note, Uso had to walk out by himself because Roman Reigns don't fuck around. <laughs> uh, Otis had the early advantage, backed Uso into the car- corner. Uh, Uso was trying to fight back, but Otis hit him with a big clothesline. Owen gets a tag and beats down Jay. Um, Jay recovers, hits a huge Samoan drop. Then Roman Reigns' music hits because Roman Reigns shows up when Roman Reigns wants to show up. Obviously, this is a punishment for the Usos. Uh, Reigns makes his way down to the ring. Owens hits Uso with an enziguri, which was like, it's always crazy to see Kevin Owens hit like an enziguri or one of the crazy things that he does out of nowhere. Um, that was a really cool spot. Both guys go down. Roman Reigns runs into the ring and hits a Superman punch on Otis on the apron. Roman Reigns just absolutely beats the shit out of Otis with the ring steps. Corey Graves justified the attack because neither guy is officially in the match, which doesn't make any sense because just because Roman Reigns didn't show up when the bell rang doesn't mean he's not part of the match. In fact, it should actually be a count out if you want to be a nerd about it. 
So fuck off, Corey Graves. That was dumb. <laughs> Owens recovered. He hits a big cannonball. He screams at Roman Reigns to get in the ring, but Roman Reigns just ignores him. Owens, Kevin Owens then hits a Samoan drop on Jey Uso. This pisses Roman Reigns off. They use that move. Roman Reigns jumps in the ring, nails him, uh, and, and Owens nails him. Oh, no. Uh, Roman Reigns jumps in the ring, nails Owen, and then Jey Uso hits him with a super kick. Uso climbs up for the big splash, but Roman Reigns ordered him to tag out. So he gets off, doesn't hit the frog splash, tags in Roman. Um, but Or he tries to tag in Roman, but Kevin Owens knocks off, knocks Roman Reigns off the apron. Um, Kevin Owens then hits a stunner on Uso, but Roman Reigns breaks up the pin attempt. And then everything goes to shit. Roman Reigns locks in the guillotine. The ref calls for a disqualification at this point in the match. <laughs> I guess that's the finish. Um, after the, I guess because everything broke down, I don't know if there was a 10 count because Uso was outside of the ring. The finish didn't make any sense to me, but after the match, Roman Reigns and Uso whip the absolute dog shit out of Kevin Owens with chairs. Roman is barking. The big dog is barking at his cousin Jay. Jay, he places this chair on Kevin Owens' chest. He climbs up the top turnbuckle. He hits a huge frog splash. He gets up. And he's excited. He thinks him and his cousin are best friends again. And then Roman just beats the absolute fuck out of him with a chair. So from start to finish, Roman is the biggest asshole of all time. Dane, what did you think about this match? Did you hate the disqualification finish? And uh, man, Roman, right? What an asshole. So we're, we're, we're going to allow Roman to come down finally and take out Otis with stairs actually hit it hit him a, a, a couple times right in front of the referee but later on when he gets a chokehold before there's any tap out or knockout that is the DQ no idea maybe I lost track of who was tagged in towards the end but I thought for the most part the story to- the story the storytelling in this match was really good um, I thought that Everyone displayed that really well. Um, I, I, I I like Kevin Owens in, in, in this role. I, I think that him acting like this tough-ass dude that, you know, you don't want to fuck with is working out pretty well. Um, I liked a lot of the breakdown of the end. Like, I like it when Jay went for the splash and Roman told him that he had to tag him in. And after all the chaos, uh, I, the, the, the bad ending with the DQ... There was some fuckery. There, there was some stuff that didn't make any goddamn sense in this match. Um, I liked, uh, you know, Roman uh, getting the win, basically, and then, uh, or no, no, not getting the win, but uh, just all hell breaking loose, and Roman beating the shit out of uh, KO with the chairs, like you said, and then Jay getting a chance to do it, going for the splash on top of the chair, on top of Roman, and Roman turning on Jay. And basically saying, like, that's what he gets. So I don't know what the hell is going to go on with the family next week. I don't know if Jay's fine now after Roman just took his frustration out on him. I know Kevin Owens is going to be pissed. And Roman looked like like the godfather. Like He really did. He uh, He's uh, pretty vicious. I love this version of Roman Reigns. It's awesome. I also love, I'm just going to throw this like little thing out there. That the uh, pre-interview that Otis did with Kevin Owens, um, 
it was like, hey, you know, they kept on saying blue collar solid, blue collar brawler, or whatever the fuck the name is. I've commented on this. It's like, here's the guy to the right that was actually trained by Dusty Rose partially in NXT that kind of, besides like a little bit of a heel run, is the closest I could say that reminds me of a Dusty Rose. Funny, passionate, you know, a badass, all those type of concepts. And here's Kmart's version. But Otis did actually have a good promo on that, so I'll, I'll give him that. It was, it was, it wasn't that bad. But he's now trying to act a little bit more aggressive. I don't think any of this shit is for no reason. WWE is trying to manufacture a dusty type of concept with Otis. It's just there. But Kevin Owens delivered. Roman delivered. Jay delivered. I'm interested in, in tuning in next week, and I think that's the most important thing, Chris. I'm interested in tuning as well. I want to know if Kevin Owens can win this title. It being a TLC match, Roman constantly beating Jay. Maybe they're going to go to that feud and hotshot the title to Kevin Owens. I, you know, it's not impossible. They could do it. I mean, there's no reason why Kevin Owens can't hold that title. It's not, it's not going to hurt Roman at this point. Roman has ascended to Brock Lesnar level. Outside of that, um, it's all about mania. So, like, let's name the opponents for Roman that are viable for mania. So, Owens could carry the title to mania if he wins, right? You could have that. And you could have Roman and Jay feud. Or you could have Roman retain. And you're looking at people you could probably bring in. So, we're looking at maybe John Cena, maybe The Rock, and maybe Brock, Brock Lesnar. What would you rather see? If Vince is going to try to spend a bunch of money, I think he should be going for champion Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar as a rematch. And he should be going for the most. It makes the most sense, especially with star power, Rock and Roman Reigns, who is the king. Or who is the head of the table? Who is like you know the 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 the, the chief of the Analoa family? So that is what I would go uh, personally. And the thing about Rock and Roman, even if they do, it, it makes sense with Roman having the title, but it doesn't make sense for Roman to have the title go against the Rock. So you could totally do that without the title, and it's a huge match by itself. So um, that's my thoughts on the uh, main titles or the main events, I should say at WrestleMania. So let's say that Vince wants to spend $0. Do you have Daniel Bryan win the Royal rumble and go against Reigns for the title at mania? Absolutely. I think, Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, do you think that that you re you recap the story of Daniel Bryan overcoming all the odds, maybe first in first out, uh, winning the Royal rumble for a second time, to go against Reigns for the championship. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility as well. Um, Cena is too, if they wanted to try to go down that route. It just makes sense. Daniel Bryan, because of what happened, yeah, having the two of them square off and build to that. It sounds like they're more or less building that up to for Royal Rumble between the two of them. Um, I'm assuming maybe it will be a IC title versus, you know, WWE title. Uh, Daniel Bryan, but I would love Daniel Bryan if he isn't just if he if that isn't the event at Royal Rumble between him and Roman if it is the the WrestleMania, 
But honestly, I think you can agree the 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 biggest match that you could possibly do is him versus The Rock. Yes, I mean that that's I mean that makes your entire pay per view really more I than rest- Cena, more than Brock, more than Daniel Bryan, more than CM Punk for Christ's sakes. Randy, Orton. I mean, even if Taker was having a match, I think that match would overshadow the Taker match. It's The Rock. <laughs> And it puts the, over Roman the most. Yes. So I, if they can get that done, that's I mean, I've been saying this for what since Roman turned heel. I was like, they got to go with the rock. As soon as they started doing the tribe thing, I was like, you have to bring in the rock. I don't, I don't know how you get it done, what you have to do. Um, Maybe the rock just is a surprise entrance at Royal Rumble and just whips wholesale ass, which would be easy for him. You don't have to, you know, be in ring shape to show up at the Rumble necessarily we did see the uh the 80s was it the nostalgia royal rumble with like the goon and like the sheik had to win it because he couldn't take a bump yeah uh, so there's yeah, ways, terrible there's ways to get this done and it be entertaining um i mean the rock can just bitch slap everybody out of the ring win the royal rumble train get ready for a match against uh, Roman, which will not be as big of a deal as him versus John Cena a year apart. Um, that's the money match. Oh. If, if you can get it done, that's that's the one. We are forgetting one person, though. I will say, and this takes a lot of stuff happening going forward, but if they don't have, maybe they do him and Bry at Royal Rumble, and that's that match. Um, and then they build up Daniel Bryan in an IC match once he loses Roman for someone else uh, going to Mania. But Big E, if 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 you want to do something big, if you can build Big E, which you're starting, and get him as one of the main guys on SmackDown, and then him and Roman Reigns come to blow, or he wins the, the Royal Rumble, um, which people would love, if you can't get The Rock, if you can't get Cena, if you can't get Brock, if you can't get certain people that are huge names, I think fans would still be really happy with having Big E going against uh, Roman Reigns for the title. Especially if you build it up where the New Day's not talk to Big E at all for months and months, and then WrestleMania music hits and they come out together, that'd be a yep. huge fucking moment. And he wins the title, and you have that great – I almost cried thinking about that Kofi Kingston celebration when he won the title because mm-hmm. it was so great. Um, but, yeah, you could you could do that too. They have a lot of things they could do with Roman because he's such a great heel, and there's so many people you can position against him. But they don't have a marquee match yet. Normally, by this time, we know what the marquee match is, but because of Roman's character and how – on fire he is right now and in the kind of matchups you can make with him you know there's a lot to i mean there's a lot to to do i mean they could go the easy stupid route which would be drew mcintyre carries the raw championship he enters himself in the rumble and wins the rumble again and he's a two-year victor and they do you know drew versus roman yeah or what about seth winning the royal rumble after he comes back from a, a huge leave against Roman Reigns. That's is a big he, match. Yeah, is he going to be back, though? I, I guess he would. He could. Just saying, there's a lot of things. Here's a question. You brought up a, an idea for Drew McIntyre. I did, too. Drew winning the Rumble somehow 
going against Roman, maybe putting the titles together. Or I said with Drew, him and Brock would make a lot of sense for a big marquee match. Drew McIntyre, potentially, I think I'll mean you. I think he's going to have that title till Mania. I could be wrong, but with Randy Orton, the Fiend, you know, it looks like Randy's going to be obviously with Edge by then at that Mania. So who do you think Drew McIntyre makes sense if they can't get Brock Lesnar to come back and do a rematch from last year? Huh. It seemed like they were booking towards him and Braun. I mean, I guess it, it you know, on Monday Night Raw, which we didn't talk about, AJ won. Uh, so yeah. he's the number one contender. So you could do him and AJ and then him and AJ's bodyguard and then AJ again, I guess. I don't I don't know. I mean, AJ versus Drew McIntyre is going to be a better match than him versus Braun or him versus Lesnar. It's very interesting, though. They got they got two guys at the top on both sides, and I think they're really good. I mean, think about their champions. It's Walter, Finn Balor, fucking Drew McIntyre, and Roman Reigns, as this version of Roman Reigns. Yeah, for the, fir- for the first time in a long time, I feel like the heavyweight picture, it's a little too stacked on Raw. I think they need to yep. narrow it down, but for the rest of the... Uh, the rest of it, it's very intriguing to see who is gonna to, going to go after that title, and it makes you care about it, which is a good thing. Because uh, a lot of times WWE they'll narrow themselves to just like, all right, this is gonna be these three guys for like six months. Um, and in both of these scenarios, specifically coming out of Survivor Series, like, you know, AJ wins this match, but you know. Elimination Chamber is coming up, right? Or Royal Rumble's coming up. Like, what's Keith Lee going to do? Is he going to be in the Elimination Chamber? Could Keith Lee win at Elimination Chamber? There's a lot of cool yeah. stuff that you could do. Um, and it's the first time in a while that I've felt that way about the heavyweight title picture. Uh, the Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt. Oh, my God. This is the – this is, as soon as he got drafted, If you, anyone listening out there, go back and listen to our draft show. I said – Oh my God! I hope they didn't move Bray Wyatt just for him to feud with Randy Orton. <laughs> Tune into Raw this week. Randy and not Orton only is... that, but I hate to say it. Uh, besides not wanting that whole entire concept, anyways, um, the Fiend, not Bray Wyatt, but the Fiend is getting overshadowed by Alexa Bliss doing what she's doing to me. She's more interesting to me than the Fiend or this feud with her and with him and fucking Randy Orton. Yeah, just well, to be yeah. honest. That's a tell as old as time. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Uh, do we have anything else from Raw? I mean, that was it, really. I mean, get AJ Riddle and Keith Lee had a good match in the three-way. If you want to watch that, that was solid shit. Uh, AJ, AJ won. Drew's awesome. Fucking Randy Orton braid dumb. Alexa Bliss was awesome. And Oscar, if all the all the all the stuff with Nia and all that was still stupid. That was about it, I think. If if you're super into watching grown men throw a tiny female around, you could watch Orton <laughs> toss Alexa Bliss 30 feet in the air for the fiend to catch her. That was awkward. <laughs> it was very awkward. <laughs> also, like it goes against everything that the fiend is. Like, if it was Bray that caught her, maybe it would make a little more sense. But isn't the entire thing that, like, the Fiend doesn't care about anything or anyone, and he's 
just this monster who wants to fight you in a swamp and feed you to alligators? I, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I guess if, if we're perceiving this off of what people kind of think of Harley and Joker, even though the fiend's a very different type of animal, I think, than the character of the fiend, than the Joker. If you look at that, Joker beat the shit out of Harley and didn't care about her at all. So even in that scenario, it doesn't really work out. So um, I don't know. All I know is that Alexa Bliss, with this weird attitude – with how she did the match with Nikki Cross, she has me more intrigued in this scenario with The Fiend than The Fiend does. And that's not good, because that was the one thing Bray had going for him, honestly, because the match has never lived up. Well, yeah, I mean, it's mostly because he grabs a gigantic hammer Mario style out from under the ring or some shit. It's ridiculous. Stuff like that, it's like, why am I watching this? Um, I don't know. Maybe this is a turnaround. Maybe Orton can... Maybe Orton is just like, look, build this to Mania so I can have a good Mania match against Bray Wyatt without cockroaches. Oh no, it's gonna ring. be, it's gonna be him and Edge, man. I think I, I don't think he's gonna be worried about the Fiend, which is weird because like, what the hell's the Fiend gonna be doing at Mania if that's the case? Another <sighs> cinematic match. Does John Cena fight him finally in person? Well, I don't know. What do you do with Karrion Cross? What do you do with uh, Finn Balor? I don't know. Because, I mean, you know, you could do Mystic versus Mystic, I guess, if you wanted to. Or, you know what? The Fiend doesn't necessarily have to be involved. <laughs> he doesn't what necessarily if, have to. What if Bray Wyatt hosts it with Alexa Bliss? From the Firefly Funhouse. <laughs> that might be a very good usage of Bray Wyatt, because I don't, I don't know, man. Like I'm, look, and then I know a lot like of, the, and you then you can have the fiend murder someone later on to start some shit up during a match. I know I'm one of the few, but I was like done with the Bray Wyatt fiend thing three weeks in. Yeah, I gave it a little bit longer because I liked the presentation, so I'll admit that I was a little bit blinded by that. But um, it's the fact that it's such a cool character. You can see that WWE is mocking it up a little bit, like forcing it to do certain things and i mean it's already been kind of established that bray's wanted to do other things and he's you know you got to do what fucking the boss tells you to do and um bray wyatt decent wrestler his matches never build up to as much as what's building up with his character and all the other shit leading up to any of his matches so that's my biggest thing yeah the only other big notes i had from raw is cedric alexander is trying to be bigger than hurt business. He is basically he's doing the rock. Yeah. He's pissing them off. He is there. They did go to the nation of domination storyline where Cedric Alexander is now bigger than the group. He's celebrating wins that he didn't necessarily deserve. That's intriguing. If they do something cool with yep. Cedric Alexander. Awesome. Should uh, be ricochet though. Yeah, well, I don't know. Apparently Vince doesn't I I don't know this to be a fact, but has Vince ever watched Prince Puma? Does he even know that Prince no. Puma and Ricochet are the same person? Of course person? not. That's why he should go back to fucking NXT cuz Vince doesn't know who the hell he is. What? What is it? Ricochet. Oh, he'll have a bullet noise. Ting. He's Spider-Man. Fucking stupid. Uh, yes. 
But, but look, I'm like Cedric Alexander is also great, like really good in ring. So I'm not going to say like, you know, Ricochet should take his spot or anything, but Ricochet should take his spot. <laughs> should. Um, man, if you would have told me three years ago, we did a top 10. Ricochet was in my top four at that point as Prince Puma slash um, Prince Ricochet or King Ricochet in New Japan. And we're here now, and I don't think he cracks my top ten just because of the way he's booked. It's fair, man. It's really fair. But um, I think that was uh, I think that's everything, right? Yeah, unless you want to talk about this uh, the TLC match they set up for the women's tag team. <laughs> but wait, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're gonna do a, a tag team title match at TLC with. As far as I can tell, based on what happened on Raw with Lana and Asuka versus Ugh. Shayna and uh, Nia Jax. I hope Asuka and Lana win, I guess. I don't care. Fucking stupid. I hope Lana doesn't die. hope Lana doesn't get put through a table off a ladder. Or put through, like, the weird ladder table that goes across the ring and the... Or an arcade unit. Yeah. Would be Um, not cool if it was an arcade unit. Um, That's how I feel about that. That pretty much wraps it up, unless you got everything, anything else to talk about, man. No, I think that's it, Uh, guys. Like I said, we got two shows. So if this is the first one you heard, we have one that we went over AEW and everything that happened on Winter is Coming, and also a little bit of tribute to Pat Patterson and a big F you to Disco Inferno. Um, and also, you know, just check that out. Thank you for listening to this. Uh, as I always say, go to geekvibesnation.com. That's geekvibesnation.com. Uh, there you'll find news articles from all of our various writers. You'll find links to all of our social media platforms at Facebook, at Twitter, and at Instagram at geekvibesnation. Um, me and Chris are going to be doing a, a show tomorrow with my good friend Alex Krieger, uh, breaking down The Exorcist. And The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So I'm uh, looking forward to doing that. I think the name of it right now, prototype name, is The Horror Show. So definitely check that out. Check out another episode. Thank you for listening to us. And let the geek vibes be with you. Peace out, guys.